Hello everyone, welcome to episode 60, a Ruin episode of Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast that is so Warhammer, we can make a Sister of Silence laugh. Do you know how we do that, Cameron? Do you know how we do that? Uh, we just say we painted all our models. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's pretty good. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Uh. Uh. <laughs> I'm your host, Matt, and joining me as always, a guy <laughs> as bearded as a free guild regiment, it's Cameron. How you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you. I would I would argue I'm more bearded than most free guild regiments because I don't have a very uh, regimented thing I've got to stick to with my beard, otherwise I'll be whipped. Oh, um, oh. Oh, so right. So, as as in you know the free guild, they need their mustachios most excellently mm-hmm. trimmed. Yes, I can just do whatever I want with my terrible face, and uh, people <laughs> won't see it because we're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's why we don't do video. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes, for good reasons, for, for health radio, reasons. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, you don't want to see it. You don't want to see us no, in no, our no, in our no. natural state. No, for the good of humanity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, like I said, episode sixty. Here we are. It's a ruin mm-hmm. episode, so it's all about that law that we all love. Mm. But before yes. we get stuck into that, uh, as always, if you want to see how you can support us, you know, be friendly and buy us a nice coffee that we can drink on mm. uh, our coffee link or yes. say you think hey guys you're doing a grand old job let's go on to itunes and give us one of those lovely five-star reviews that we would love you mm. forever um but yes. no if you're you know jokes aside i said if you want to see how you can support us or uh, you want to see how you can join our lovely discord server that we always bang on about uh, link will be down mm. in the description and we're doing some really cool stuff on there like i said we're <clears throat> doing oh, yeah uh rpg sessions we're doing hobby mm. tips with each other we've got yes. uh tabletop simulator crusade uh, for yes. 40k that's kicked off mm-hmm. so yeah we've got a lot going on there and it's just a really cool bunch of people uh, and that's not just because yeah. we're there <laughs> yeah, no yeah. no oh um, no, god <laughs> much <cooler laughs> no. people than us there <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, yeah very much so so yeah so if you want to if you want in on that like i said it's free to join just click the link. Uh, so for today's topic, mm. something that we've been hinting at for a while. So the main yeah. law topic for this one is we're going to go through all the lore of the Lumineth Realm Lords Battle Tome. You know, the mm-hmm. pointy elves cometh. So yes. we're looking forward to talking about that. And then we'll have a discussion topic at the end where we're going to talk about our basically Chaos Space Marine wish list for the future, mm. really. See if we can get yeah. some right. Or we're just going to be kids in a sweet shop, <laughs> you know, a uh, great plastic sweet, sweet shop, shop, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to be this episode. So I think, Cameron, it's time mm-hmm. to talk Lumineth. Here we are, the Lumineth Realm Lords. Like I said, it feels like. They've been around for a little while, and yeah. you know, the Battle Tome's been here for a little while, because obviously it was part of the that army set that came out not that mm. long ago. Mm. So, no. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one, really, because I feel like people know about, about the Lumineth, but don't, because obviously because it's not mm. fully mainstream. Would you agree with that? Yeah, sort of like- I, I, I would definitely agree with that. So I've, I've been reading this book over the last couple of weeks. Mm. I do want to say this is the first of these limited edition codexes slash Battle Tomes I've ever gotten, and... Same. Bloody hell, it's lovely. Uh, it's super pretty. 
and super nice and shiny, but the pages inside are the exact same. So, um, but this is the only one available, of course. This is the one from the army set. Um, yeah, so I was, I was rereading things this morning just to prepare, finish off my notes for the show. And, um, I, I came to the realization most of this stuff, uh, beyond the, you know, they're from the realm of light, techless leads them, uh, they can suppress their emotions using crystals, uh, and they're very organized. I didn't really know much about them before mm. I started reading. There is all kinds of stuff in here that makes them supremely more interesting than high elves, but an age of Sigma, which is what they physically appear to be. Yep. Um, and now we can't talk about news today because this isn't a realm episode, but in our <laughs> realm episode next, next time, we're going to be talking about all the news coming for age of Sigma. Mm. These guys are going to be a big part of things going forward. I have a feeling Definitely. because yep. God, I wish this was a realm episode because I'm bursting with excitement after the stream <laughs> last night. <laughs> There's so much cool stuff, but we'll keep it to the incredibly cool stuff I didn't know about the Lumineth uh, mm. in in the in the Lumineth uh, Realm Lords Battle Tome. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree mm. with that. I think I was actually I know we're obviously we're now going to get into it in a second, but I was actually mm. pleasantly surprised with their lore. Oh yeah, that, you know, as someone mm. that had no real massive affinity to the High Elves of old, I've always thought they were cool, but I was always more of a Dark mm. Elf. Uh, person so for for me these were like oh yeah they're cool and obviously when they you know were getting their reincarnation so to speak for aos mm. or saying oh, okay cool yeah you know that makes sense people love them but let's see how these light elves uh end up being and you know i said like a bit like you i knew a bit from what we've seen on the various websites i haven't really watched mm. any youtube videos on them uh until reading the battle time like you have and now, since I've read it, I'm thinking, wow, these guys are actually really interesting. They're actually yeah. not what you think they're going to be, no. like, to a degree. They, they're actually uh. <laughs> quite cool behind the scenes. Obviously, mm. again, we'll get into the, yeah. the details shortly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the, their overall story arc, like, the story of how their society has changed from the Age of Myth to the current day of Age of Sigma is incredible. Mm. And also... This book has generated at least three conspiracy theories within me. Um, <laughs> okay, looking forward to hearing those. <laughs> good law should do this, because that that little twi- twist of, what does that mean, though, is, I think, one of the most exciting parts of uh, law. The, 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 the self-discovery kind of stuff where you go, well, what, what, what could this mean? What is this? I'm excited to find out. Yeah. Um, I hope Games Workshop has the balls to go through with what I think it could be. <laughs> well, I think I think you're right on that. I think that we, you know, for when we cover law on any episode, whether it's 40k AOS or whatever, we, I think, like you said, it's finding those cool little bits that we can glean from stuff. Mm. That because mm. obviously a lot of it is just black and white law. You know, like this happened, yeah. that yeah. happened, and you, you know, and obviously there's only so many ways you can talk about that. It's a bit like history, yeah. isn't it? You can say <laughs> this is what's happened, and it's like okay, that's mm. cool, and that's how people learn stuff, but. I think for us personally, the one thing that we like to do, especially when we do the, any novels, I think that's the mm. key one for us, is that we can go, ah, well, this is a cool story. Yeah, this happened. This, you know, this orc got smacked over the head, you know, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> then it's like, yeah, but look what Belisarius Call did over here. Look at this. Oh, look, look what goodness. he's up to. You know, it's, and, and you can sort of start piecing it together. I think that, for me, is the interesting mm. bit of, for the, of the lore, because obviously the rest of it is, like I said, it's just a stream of information otherwise. So, yeah. and I think yeah. that's the same, like I said, with, with what surprised me with this book in particular, where you're like, yeah, okay, you know, they're elves and you know, they're, they're enlightened and such like, but then when you start picking out some of these cool little bits, 
um, and you know, you and start piecing it together and how it connects with the the bigger realms. You're like, oh, okay, these guys mm. are cool. They're a lot more interesting mm. than I first thought. And hopefully, <laughs> you guys will feel the same when you start hearing about what we have to say about them now. So, mm. yeah, let's uh, yeah. let's kick them off. Let's. Yeah, who let's are they? In. Let's do it. So, who are the elves of Hish? Uh, well, they are elves um, that have uh, basically sort of turned from art and philosophy to basically the domain of war. They're arguably the epitome of uh, elven kind, really, you know, and uh, sort of believing to be the most advanced and intellectual of all beings, uh, thanks to the Ten Paradises of Heesh, which we'll again talk about soon. Um, they have had to basically redirect their love of mastering their pursuits to defend, basically to defend their realm now, and obviously their faction against all the different enemies, especially, as always, the forces of chaos, where in battle, they become basically like an art form. You know, each thrust of a spear, each cast of a spell is sort of done with purpose, grace, logic, and that sort of thing. You'll you'll find that's a very common theme for them. <laughs> so <laughs> their uh, evolution from the Age of Chaos into the Age of Sigmar, uh, basically seen them as become a cohesive force sent out by the well-known brothers, Teclis and Tyrion, to basically change history and forego the days of fighting as individuals. It's all about, you know, the greater cause now. So you've got phalanxes of their sort of skilled and disciplined warriors working together as archers shower their foes in a accurate uh, arrow fire, mages causing disruption with their magic and their pike wielding soldiers finishing off the enemy. So like many races, they harbor a dark past. That's always the case, isn't it? No one, no one's got a clean history, um, which is, which they basically pulled themselves away from, luckily, um, and because they, because basically they saw their need to change. Uh, with this revelation being known as the reinvention, again, more on that later. However, this has not been has not made them humble beings. <laughs> In fact, it's they mm-hmm. still regard themselves as you know beneath, or sorry, others beneath them, uh, sort of basically blinded by their own brilliance. So again, they're quite a uh, you know quite a cocky race to a degree but i suppose that's quite an elven thing anyway um mm-hmm. so similar to the deepkin they they shun emotion but for you know but for different reasons really for basically the reason that it can cause confusion and interference with logic and reasoning they're a bit um cap you know a bit um spock from star trek basically mm-hmm. um it, it means heightened emotion can be seen as a path to damnation as demonstrated by the head of knights of slanesh or all those souls drenched in anger, you know, can lead to serious consequences and putting others at risk. So they're all about being cool and calculated, basically. Um, as you would imagine, their arrogant nature hasn't gone down well with others and has basically made them many enemies over time, uh, but gaining them a reputation as a deadly, efficient, but quite unpredictable force, basically steamrolling over those who get in their way. So their sort of detached and aloof nature was once upon a time was you know, perceived as, as a massive weakness, basically. But the repression of the emotion led to hate, led to unrest, which eventually mm-hmm. became their down, downfall, uh, which was known as or connected to the Spirefall, which was basically mm-hmm. a magical civil war, which tore their empire mm-hmm. apart. Um, 
who doesn't love a good civil war? But, uh, mm-hmm. GW loved chucking in civil wars. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> this realization has basically made the Lumineth rethink their ways, and now they embrace their realm in Heesh, uh, working in tandem with it, making good use of its realm stone, which is known as Ether Quartz. We'll again mention that a few times later, and not seeking to unbalance things. So by embracing the magic and literal elemental foundations of the realm uh they basically go to war with their avatars of the realm uh under the guidance and banner of obviously techless so you know mm. talking about well, their actual war hosts you so basically the ba- the uh, the vast bulk of their of the lumineth are actually civilians who ultimately would rather be pursuing their interests outside of battle you know f- from a you know a mind and soul perspective achieving balance and you know becoming mm. one with yourself basically uh, but fight out of necessity due to the threat of chaos, which again is a common theme, obviously with other races as well. So this balance has continued, you know, to be the way that their armies are organised. So th- this is where the, the decree Tyrionic uh, was laid down at the start of Age of Sigmar. So basically, this meant that each nation in the realm uh, has an army of Venari, which is basically their military arm, uh, led by the Magic Cast or the Mage Cast, which is the Skinari. Uh, this is basically to echo the the might magic combination shown by Tyrion and Teclis, you know, the two sides mm-hmm. of one soul. So again, this you'll see this balance thing quite often. So with the threats to their lives throughout the realms, they've basically taken the fight to the enemy, you know, using their skill and their ability of foresight, uh, often traveling through realm gates to provide their wisdom to other races. Uh, they will look to purify the land as they go using geomantic magic, which is to stabilize the realm. Uh, however, this can <laughs> this can lead their allies' territory becoming a bit mauled in the process, whether they like it or not. So, you know, again, they've got this sort of attitude of trying to help the others for the good of dealing with chaos, but they have a habit of sort of overstepping the mark sometimes. Um, mm. So, you know, chaos and particularly Sinesh is aware of the unrest the Lumineth have caused. So maybe they've overstretched themselves. We'll see. Um, mm. And talking about the realm, the realm of light that they obviously... Uh, come from it's a, a realm well known for the bright sun it personifies in the sky uh that uh, until well that is until it's eclipsed by the darkness of ulgu it's a twin realm so the light of hish uh resonates throughout all its inhabitants often healing them in some cases but the main thing taken from this realm is that of higher intellect and quick thinking so this, however, has its consequences, as those who ascend too high can have their minds literally melted by the pure <laughs> and powerful light of the realm, uh, which then in turn creates obsession, addiction, and ultimately annihilation. So the Illumineth ultimately are looking to seek that balance. You know, such So such things basically never happen. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's a little intro for the Illumineth. Yes. And now let us peer deep into the past. Into the age of myth. Ooh. Ah, ooh. Ooh. Long, long ago. Near <laughs> the end of the age of myth, uh, Tyrion, Teclis, Malarin, and Marathi all worked together to trap Slanesh. We've been over this a lot because it's a really good story arc. Yep. Uh, we love it. But we already know about that. We need to go further. We mm. need to go back, Marty. Back to the, the past, <laughs> actually, not to the future. Um, <laughs> uh, so... Near the beginning of the Age of Myth, Tyrion alone awoke within Zintil, the heart of Haish, after the end of the world that was. Um, 
He, of course, back in the uh, in the old world during the end times, was the incarnate of Hish, the uh, wind of magic representing light magic, um, and it absorbed a lot of its power, and eventually was reborn in the uh, in the mortal realms because that's where all the gods come from. Uh, they are people from the old world. Hooray! Uh, but you'll mention you'll you'll notice, I should say, uh, Teclas not here yet. So um, this is where my conspiracy theory begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this little bit of story is great. Uh, so Tyrion, he's a twin, but he's alone. He feels that hollowness inside of him that he's lost, you know, some innate part of himself. And so he begins wandering, uh, wandering the realm of Haish, wandering what is known as the Ten Paradises, essentially the Ten Great sort of land masses of Haish. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a wonderful, beautiful, magical place, and he just feels awful, because, again, the end of the old world was not a pleasant time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Heish is full of power. Just being there, he can feel his mind sharpen and sort of come into focus. He's reading a lot into the symbolism and symmetry of the landscape around him, and, again, it's very sad, because he can't fully appreciate it, because Teclas was the one who was really into magic and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he and he knows Teclas would love it here. If only dear <laughs> Teclas were here. <laughs> and every now and again, he felt like he could just hear him on the wind, as if he was still there somehow. <laughs> send just, him a postcard. <laughs> yeah, send him a postcard to just hear, hear love him it here. coming on the wind. He's, <laughs> Greetings from Haish. Wish you were here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, so uh, Tyrion began to sort of concentrate and focus on these whispers in his mind, uh, traveling further away from the center of Haish towards the edge of the realm. Uh, the lands, obviously, there becoming more and more exotic as they became more and more close to being like just solidified magic as the realms work. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff is out there. These uh, these realms of pure geometry, these eldritch creatures, uh, which of course Tyrion being Tyrion killed as they attacked him. Um, but he was not afraid. Fear of the unknown is pointless when everything you know has already been destroyed. There's only one way to go. That's forward. He has to push forward. Um, and he crossed the Luminaris Sea, which is this girdle of light water, liquid light, uh, that encircles the entirety of Haish. Uh, and across there, he came to Haishia or Haixia. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's a palindrome. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Backwards and forwards is the same. Uh, yeah. Because perfect symmetry is a thing. Um, of course. <laughs> Uh, the lands here are incredibly perfect, which sounds incredibly disturbing. Like, I don't like the idea of a Ford being just this endlessly repeating fractal shape causing a split in the earth. <laughs> and then 90 degrees to the left is the exact same Ford and 90 degrees to the left of that because this place is symmetrical. It hurts my brain to think about. It's terrible. It's awful. It's terrible and awful for me. It was just as bad for Tyrion. He's mm. a god. But there's only so much even a god can take. Um, now, Matt, you mentioned uh, looking into the light of Haish for too long is bad for you. Ah, uh, my my eyes, my yeah, brain. Yeah, um, Tyrion's eyes literally melted out of his head from <laughs> staring into the edges of Haish for too long. Ah, uh, this is why he's called the Blind King in the court mm. of the Blind King. Yeah, uh, he's a god with no eyes. Uh, but. Doing this sort of obsessive curiosity piqued the curiosity of the realm's edge itself, the elemental spirit of the edge of Haish, because there's a lot of spirits hanging around within the uh, geometry of Haish, and this is 
the big one, I would guess, because it's like the entire realm, more or less, it sounds like. Mm. Uh, this is this is one of these things that is very vague. Uh, it appeared to Tyrion in its blinding splendor, but because he'd already lost his eyes, he didn't know to look away, which made it even more curious. Mm. Um, and Tyrion doesn't remember anything that happened next, but he woke up back in the very center of Haish with Teclis's frail frail body lying next to him, filled with Haishian magic. So here's my conspiracy theory. Uh, Teclis isn't real. The book usually refers to him as Archmage, Te- Archmage Teclis, not as a god. I think Tyrion struck a deal and carved a small piece of himself off and grew it into a Teclis, and Ooh, he doesn't like remember. He, like, he's, like he's an avatar, basically. Yeah. Of sorts. Yeah. Like a yeah. shard. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it, okay. This, this is like a... This is like Nagash and his less Nagashes, but Tyrion doesn't yeah. remember because terrible trauma. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. Lit- I like that. Yeah, because only one being at a time is the god of a realm. Mm. Teclis in the old world didn't get to be the incarnate of Haish. Tyrion did. There's no way Teclis' soul escaped all the Slanesh stuff and the world mm. blowing up. I'm I'm literally going with Tyrion couldn't bear to live without Teclis and in a, in a fit of terrible godly power shore himself into pieces and built a new Teclis <laughs> because they're like now now they start calling them the twin gods but you'll notice all through your section never said the word god when referring to Teclis no he's always that's true. archmage Teclis or mighty Teclis or whatever he's never referred to as a god yeah <laughs> and also it's not it's not they're not against uh, reforging as such, are they? Mm. As we'll find mm. out with another certain character later. Yes. They're not yes, against right. sort There's of piecing a... that, you know, that mm. sort of thing together. So yeah, there could be, yeah, could be some truth in that. Yeah. Could be mm. some shenanigans going on there. Yeah. So we're it, calling it. Says it. Here the t- mm. Yeah. It says here the two have become twin halves of the same godly power, which instead of being divided and lessened, it was instead reflected and magnified. I'm, I'm, you, you see what I'm putting down? This is just, this is just another piece of Tyrion that he, that he's like, Teclis, though, my twin, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose as well is that has he has he just let him out to get on with his own thing? Because obviously it depends what Tyrion's mm. sort of agenda is. Obviously we don't know that really at this point. Yeah, obviously yeah. he's sort of now at this moment from a law and tabletop perspective, mm. he's sort of on the back burner, isn't he? Until yeah. obviously Teclis yeah. has, has sprung forward. Here's the Lumineth Realm Lords. We're out doing mm. stuff. Now, what's yeah. Tyrion going to be up to? Like, is the main yeah, yeah, god, exactly. arguably, mm. of the realm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this, this is all fueling it, because the, the big thing here is, as soon as Teclis appears like this, Tyrion is able to see through his eyes, almost like there's some innate connection, like they're the same person. Like, Nagash sees through the eyes of lesser Nagashes that he sends out, which is a thing that we've seen in the books before, is Nagash can just look out through anything he creates and look at things and like, you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> also, also uh, with, with, yeah. uh, with Tyrion, obviously, but the mm. fact he's blind, is, that his, is this his way of having an impact down in the mortal mm. realms now by, by his avatar in quote marks, mm. uh, mm. Teclis, you know, it's going right. Okay, brother, you know, you go off and do your stuff because I can't really see things properly from what, in yeah. my, you know, it's almost like yeah. he has become the eyes of Tyrion potentially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In a manner of speaking. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's like, you know, Teclis taught Tyrion to see with extra sensory perception. No, 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 no. 
Tyrion is absolutely just watching through Teclas's eyes at all times. Mm. I'm calling it now. So you're basically saying Teclas is a pair of glasses. Yes. <laughs> this is my seeing eye, Teclas. <laughs> God, that's awful. Oh. Sorry, Realm Lords. Uh, we're just we're just yes. completely destroying your your uh, your Look, lords. We'll, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> so, about your culture. We'll talk about your culture for like the next two hours. I have my moment here for crackpot conspiracy theory. On <laughs> one of your gods isn't real. Okay, listen, <laughs> listen. This is that, like yeah. this is like Highlander. There can be only one. Yeah. Like, Gork and Borka is one creature that occasionally splits in half. Nagash mm. is one thing that shaves off little bits of himself to create lesser things. Same with same with Sigmar, even. He's pulling mm. little bits of himself off to create Stormcast. They're all doing it. I'm calling it. <laughs> Mark this down for, like, five years' time. <laughs> I was going to say, same with Grimnir and Grungni, because they've sort of gone their separate mm. ways as well. Well, one yeah. ended up dying, didn't he, effectively? Yeah, from, yeah, exactly. By taking on a big salamander, but... Yeah, mm. you know, like, yeah, they they don't gods don't like sharing stuff, no, do they? Really, not only really. One god at a time. No, yeah. no sharing. Sharing bad. <laughs> yes. Apparently, this is the message mm. of Age of Sigma. Don't share. Uh, <laughs> don't no, share. it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but now the twin gods, as we'll refer to them for ease of use, as opposed to the god and his clone, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> began wandering the ten paradises, and primarily they were looking for other elves. Because, you know, they they both died trying to protect the elven nations from chaos. And they're like, well, we made it here. There should be some of us ar- still around, right? Mm. Um, and, uh, no, it's uh, there's no other elves in Haish at all. There are none. Mm-hmm. Nowhere. But you know who does show up in Haish eventually? It's Sigma! Oh, hey, of you, course. Yeah. Hey, hey Tyrion Teclis, you remember that barbarian who killed Nagash that one time? <laughs> Turns out he made it as well. <laughs> um, and he's getting a bit, and, big, a bit big for his boots as well. <laughs> yeah, he's getting this a little lad. big for his for his, uh, for his human boots, this lad. Um, but yeah, uh, even even this, this lowly human ascended to godhood that they run into, that's a welcome sight. It's someone they know, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> uh, they ha- the, here they are, three godlike beings again. Not calling the three of them gods. I'm going to keep pointing this out. And my brain is fixated on this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> they have a fresh chance to create an existence free from the taint of chaos. Because again, this is the early in the age of myth. There's also no signs chaos is around. It's probably fine, guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Sigma does confirm to them that there are a few elves still around, but most of them are in um, the realm of heavens, hanging out with Sigma's people. Um, but the vast majority of them were clearly eaten by Slanesh, and so that's a little rough. But Tyrion and Teclas are like good elves, which means they're stubborn, and they don't listen to humans. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they broadened their, sh- their searches. They went through basically all the realms except Ulgu, which is the one place they cannot go. Uh, but in Shaish, they found a group of strange monks who informed them that a creature known as Malarian also was looking for the souls of lost elves. Uh, mm. Malarian lives in Ulgu, can't come to Haish. Tyrion and Teclis live in Haish, can't come to Ulgu, because those two <laughs> realms are completely diametrically opposed. It's like magnets, but opposites repel instead of attract. Um, <clears throat> but to get, they could meet up in Shaish, so they had like a little powwow. 
uh, in Shaish and went, oh, hi, hi, Malarian. Aren't you the guy who was uh, was actually destined to be the Phoenix King and we all cheated you out of that destiny for several thousand years until the end times? But it's <laughs> fine. You know, the bygones be bygones. You're over it, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's all good. Um, but working together, uh, Malarian, High, uh, Malarian, Teclas, and Tyrion are able to figure out that because of Heish and Ulgo's, Ulgo's link, there is a point perfectly between them where all three of these gods can coexist. This secret little penumbral meta place of Ulgish. <laughs> and, uh, this is where they decided, uh, they were probably going to imprison Slanesh. And yeah. they went and they did that. <laughs> it's like you can imagine going, them going well there's one two there's three of us and only one of yeah, him one of him slash her and then Rappy's Rappy's in the corner just going hey hey I'm hey, a god too right no you're not <laughs> no you're a place Marathi you've got the word demi in there for a reason <laughs> not now mother <laughs> so just yeah. imagine Malarian with a principal skin of voice yeah. what's that mother you want me to sacrifice the humans to Cain but mother <laughs> <laughs> People may get a bit frustrated at that. <laughs> oh god. Um so yes, they all working together without Ilariel because she never wants to join in in all the fun and games. Um <laughs> work together, they trapped Ilariel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They trapped uh they trapped Slanesh and began the long arduous process of getting all those souls out of that overstuffed god. Uh and the first lot that came out were the Ideneth so terribly scarred by their time within Slanesh that they were basically instantly corrupted and terribly tainted, and Tyrion decided, no, we can't kill these, right as Teclas was about to smite them, and said, Teclas, don't kill them, and Teclas agreed with that argument. Again, clone. Clone <laughs> avatar thing. I'm just, there's no agency. If Tyrion says something, Teclas follows along. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and off went the Ideneth. Uh, other groups of elven souls were salvaged and reformed into various creatures ranging from the monstrous to the angelic. Future spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most stable and sane of all these were the Lumineth. That, that's it. That's the end. Ah, myth. right. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Sorry. The end. And there will be more. And the more will be... The Rise of Enlightenment. So, (laughs) the twin gods, I'm just going to throw it out there, twin gods, let's just Mm, keep it, mm. you know, I know Cameron is is, uh, (laughs) trying to disrupt that, but we'll just say, we'll just say, say how it is at the moment. So as far as we know, the twin gods (laughs) become so good at stealing souls. Oh, they love it. Oh, look at it. Look at all these souls we're taking. Look, it's like a buffet. So they're, they're they're stealing back from Sanesh and the uh, the magic needed to to keep the god at bay. Um, unfortunately, they were unable to fully reincarnate these souls, rather than them. You know, basically they're basically being hollow or or cast off. So the the Lumineth were brought into existence with Teclas and Tyrion happy with what they saw. Uh, you know, so you know they they were reminded of the elves of of time before. You know, it's like, oh, these these look familiar. I think we've seen them before. And and the fact that the Lumineth created nine great nations through Heesh in all the paradises, apart from Hazaxia, 
it, you know, they were like, oh, cool. These elves are good. You know, they look like they remind us mm. of how they used to be. And look at them. Yeah. They're off, they're off building great nations. That's, that's cool. They're not like those, not like those, those fishy deep kin. Um, however, this joy, you know, seemed to be masking the twin gods from the darkness in their new civilization. There's always darkness. Um, so, cause you know, obviously for where light falls, a shadow is mm. formed. So yay. the, the yay, that's it. That's simple <laughs> science there. So the the Lumina, uh basically expanded themselves over the ten paradises. Uh, some enhancing their minds. Uh, you know, others were learning botany, history, cartography. Oh, they love a good map. Oh, who doesn't love a good map? Um, whilst leaving the local beasts from slaughter, and instead, you know, tamed mm. them instead um which i loved because there's actually a note where it says that they, they were sending particular predators through realm to, through realm gates to other lands <laughs> if needed i love oh, that God. so like well this this beast is a bit dangerous should we kill it no no, no. we do not do oh. that oh i can't God. tame do it know, though <laughs> do, do you know what this means hey conspiracy theory number two i hadn't read this because this was your section yeah <laughs> Gur, hear, hear me out here. Gur wasn't originally the realm of beasts, but <laughs> there was a realm gate to it conveniently located where all these predators were. <laughs> it was. It was. It was the realm. It was the realm of grass. It was the, yeah, it was the realm of then, grass and nice, peaceful animals. And then the Lunath just herded all the four jawed Draco gators out through the realm gate. Said, "Go, be free." Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I don't. I, it, it reminds me. I don't know if you. Again, you may not have watched it. Um, do you watch Family Guy? Um, a bit here and there. Right, okay. Well, there's, there's, there's. <laughs> again anyone that's listening may remember this episode there's one episode it's the multiverse episode where mm. the where stewie and brian are going through different you you know parallel universes mm. and in the few one of the future ones you can literally uh just say i want to get rid of you know instead of going toilet you know for a, mm. for a poo basically you can you can get you know you can just get rid of it just with like a click of a button you're like uh, one yeah. one poop removal and your poop just and obviously brian goes to stewie goes well where's that gone Oh, it just goes somewhere else, and it, and it goes to other parallel universes. It's of like course. the equivalent of that, where they're like these just beasts are just randomly going. So it's like they don't care where it's going. Gorgonwalker was a very peaceful god until five thousand dragons were dropped on his head by the. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so great. It's but it's it's very much what in keeping what they're like because they hmm. it's almost like they care but they don't care as well. It's like they're trying yeah. to they think well this will do this will be good for us, but they don't seem yeah. to think of the bigger picture in a we way we don't want to kill these creatures but we also don't want them where we're living yeah so we'll, we'll make them someone else's problem <laughs> love it just sort of heard it oh was like come God. on get through the realm gate um so, i love it um so <laughs> so all the <laughs> carrying on all the um the Umineth picked up things very easily you know language mm. art mm. science Beast herding, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they, they nailed that. Um, came to them very quickly, uh, even for those having lesser talents in other things. So this led to the architecture becoming, you know, more decorated, higher, stronger, more ambitious. Uh, to the point that travel between the different paradises could be as simple as thinking of a bridge of light, and it would simply appear. So, yeah, these advancements bred local rivalries between the Lumineth as mm -hmm. schools of thought and research would try to outdo each other, elves being elves, you know, as the, the complexity 
of their knowledge increased. So with the pursuit of knowledge and betterment becoming so important to them, the elders created what was known as the Teclamentari. So basically mm-hmm. it's the, or otherwise known as the Teclian ladder. So mm. it's basically a way to progress one's pursuit of enlightenment where each rung of the ladder, you know, so to speak, uh, involved a mental test where with those failing, often losing their sanity. Um, so quite a big <laughs> failure uh, mm. uh, on that. And, but success meant greater rewards becoming almost ethereal and literally glowing mm. knowledge. If you got really mm. high up that ladder. So for one to be <laughs> at the top of the ladder, was said that they were on a literally on a completely different plane, so much that mm. even Teclas had had not even reached it. Now that's an interesting point. So you've got a ladder named after Teclas, yet mm. he has never ascended it to the top. No, which again no. has to put you have to put his power in question there mm. to a degree. Yeah, you know, going I on mean, with your theory, I'm also questioning the whole of Tyrionic Teclionic society, where the way to advance is to do the thing where either you move up to the next level or you go insane. Yeah. <laughs> are we yeah. the baddies? Like, uh, uh, all the all these other sections I was reading, like, references the Teclean ladder. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's probably some, like, social strata thing. Sure, sure. Again, I didn't know it was this bad. <laughs> <laughs> you can become amazingly enlightened or you can literally, your mind will crack. It's sort of, it's mm. very... There's no sort of middle ground with this particularly, <laughs> you know, because I suppose ultimately they're in, they're in, they're encouraged to become enlightened. That's their, their whole mm. thing. And yet they, it comes with a consequence that like I said, their mind can break and they become pretty much useless. So yeah, yeah, yeah. High, literally high ceiling on that one. So, right. Okay. So <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, so for, yeah, like I said, Teclas never actually ever reached it. So this ladder system became so entrenched into their society that those on a higher rung could actually give orders to those on a lower, regardless of rank uh, outside of the ladder. So you could be, you know, you could be a, a, a blacksmith, but if you were higher up on that ladder, you could tell a, a, an army commander what to do. It actually overrides, oh, wow. you know, normal okay. rank, you know, social rank. So mm, that's quite interesting. Mm. So their next progression was that of ether quartz. So, the the realm stone of of Heesh. so basically turned it when it's turned into or when it was found to be turned into a solid state initially by Teclas, he started teaching it to the other mages so they could do the same so as the realm stone you know as basically as the realm stone here in this realm is basically just beams of light unlike other realms where the realm stone is collected in deposits obviously they had to find a way like i said to make it solid which is what they did so basically this ether quartz when it becomes solid ends up having these sort of ornate runes and symmetrical patterns on it. And it can be used to basically enhance or dissipate magic um, and would mm. constantly refract light and be a source of stable light. Um, that was until the Lumineth would siphon off its power. Uh, they would become basically so, you know, they would basically become enlightened in body, mind and soul uh, by, like I said, siphoning off this power. But then in return, the ether quartz would fill up with their emotions and start growing dim, you know, because again, it's all about balance. It's all about give and take. So they're taking Mm. the power. And then I said, it's becoming dim in return. Um, So soon the ether quartz would be, you know, naturally put into jewelry, sword hilts, even to the point it would be under their tongues. So basically the wearer could get a quick burst of intellect oh and enlightenment. When required. You can just, it's like, it's like a cyanide pill, but you can, yeah. you can just sort of crack it and then you go, there you go. Oh, 
I'm so enlightened. Um, wow. So, which is really <laughs> bizarre. Um, even so, even and they would. It's, it's funny. They would actually even use it to help pass their trials on the Techlian ladder. So, uh, <laughs> so obviously they didn't do yeah, drugs tests cheating? in. The, no. In the, in yeah. This. <laughs> they just, well, I, I I've read ahead, I know this is going to end badly, but did no one at the time go, hey guys, are we sure we should be doing all these drugs? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's, just, it, it, it's, it's funny because obviously, because they, they obviously, you know, take pride in, in being aware of stuff and enlightened. It's almost like, mm. ironically, that overtook them so much. They were so obsessed mm. with becoming enlightened that they would, like I said, they would get to the point where they're like draining the power of realm stones mm. at, in, to the point where they're like I said they got it under their tongues and things like that it's, yeah it goes yeah. to that sort of level and then this is the bit that always makes me laugh is with with you know obviously as you'd imagine they've got all these used crystals because obviously once the power's out of it then it's just an empty shell so they would get mm. the, the 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 used crystals which obviously remember at this point are full of emotion you know mm. they've remember it's absorbed the emotion out of the lumineth so they would dip- dispose of them in a chasm city which is uh catharsia <laughs> And yeah. like that sounds good. No re- no repercussions from that, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's just dump them. They love dumping stuff. They're dumping beasts yes. in other realms, and yes. they're, they're dumping their their sort of their you know their drug yeah. stones yeah. that are used up and put them in a big pile mm. in a city. Mm. <sighs> what are they thinking? Uh, this is this is your brain on fantasy capitalism. Um, yeah. <laughs> They literally got landfill full of used materials. This come on. <laughs> yeah. True, true. Uh, so yeah, so that was the, <laughs> the rise of enlightenment. Good lord! Well, they they sound so enlightened. Um, but eventually, it all has to come tumbling down, tumbling down. Um, <laughs> with what's known as the spirefall or the Okari Dara, as the elves call it, which is uh, basically the inevitable consequence of them doing all this nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Balance, right? (laughs) Balance is necessary, and they definitely didn't have it. Um, So, the unbridled progress and success of the Lumineth, now supercharged by Ether Quartz, was uh, having somewhat of an intoxicating effect on the overall elven psyche. Uh, competition grew a lot fiercer, and the struggle to corner the market for Ether Quartz became very intense. There's a lot of intrigue and games turning to skullduggery and outright sabotage, but none of them were uh, humble enough to admit that they needed it. <laughs> they didn't want to admit their weakness. Um, so they continued, as always, to climb higher and higher, seeking to escape the earthly demands of the bod- of their bodies and the land itself. Uh, a lot of Lumina stopped sleeping. Because that's a healthy choice you make. Um, <laughs> because their, their thought being, you know, spending a third of your day unconscious, sometimes snoring like a human or a dwarf. No, no, ugh, disgusting. I'd rather be doing my ether quartz stocks online. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is this is. I really love their overall story. This is this is why the lows of their story come to their highs later. It's very good. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of Lumineths just stop sleeping uh, to better further their crafts, or at the very least, do some mind expanding meditation rather than sweet sleep. And uh, it became uh, considered a boorish habit to sleep. It was impolite and uncivilized of you to sleep. Very good sign of a healthy society. <laughs> um, 
So wait a minute, just remind me, they're, they're taking drug-like realm stones and now they're not yes. sleeping. Now they're not sleeping, yes. They're, they're, mm. they're really setting themselves up here. Um, and uh, the, the problem here, they're, they're aiming to rise ever higher, which comes with a, a hidden existential danger because the ultimate truth of the Teclean Ladder is that to reach the top of it, you have to travel to the highest point of Haish. Now, the thing is, the realms are flat. Everyone knows that. It's common mm-hmm. sense. The realm is yep. flat. But traveling to the top of the realm is basically the same as traveling to the edge of the realm in terms of how badly it can mess you up. <laughs> um, because you're, you're still traveling to the perimeter edge of a realm. There's still raw, unbridled magic up there that will melt your eyes out of your skull like they like it did to God. <laughs> Elves. <laughs> God. <laughs> I love the Lumina. They're so proud. Um, over time, um, this insidious fever of pride took hold, with uh, some elven masters openly attempting to outdo their rivals in all things, while others got a little subtler uh, in their needling, um, casting sly aspersions against people who blatantly show off how good they are at stuff. Um, none of them were gauche enough to point it out directly, but they all went to great lengths to show their towers were just a little bit taller or their robes just a little bit whiter, or their spells a little more clean and precise in effect than the than the Illumineth around them. Uh, Masters of the Teclamentari, who held forth about the knowledge and experience, obsessed over how many were listening to their lectures in comparison to their other, uh, other teachers in the area. Artisans made bigger and more powerful magical masterpieces, especially in the nation of Sayar. Uh, mages, seers, and theogists def- designed works of arcane genius, spells so destructive they could unravel reality, swearing, of course, they would never use them unless it was against chaos. I mm-hmm. could never. There's this for no. self-defense, this nuclear bomb of a spell I've developed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their deterrence, just in case chaos ever thinks about messing with us, we'll show them this spell and they'll go, oh, well, I'd better buzz off, shouldn't I? Um... <laughs> <laughs> but under the civility and uh, manners of each of these debates, uh, there were implications and subtexts, because elven conversation is its own beautiful craft, filled with flair, intellect, and spite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't forget spite. <laughs> yep, don't forget spite. Uh, now, the people most besotted with their quest for ether quartz uh, began hearing these little whispers, then words and haunting suggestions playing at the edges of their subconscious, because... This is excess. This is an entire society in massive mm. excess. And Slanesh is speaking to its most vulnerable members. It feels like um, we've been here before in another yeah, universe. In another yeah. universe, in another world. Yeah, no, yeah, okay, yeah. hey, we're, we're, we're putting this out here. Luminath are just craft world Eldari. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it's really good. It's really good, except they're craft world Eldari, but better because their story feels more grounded and relatable yeah. to like real world political structures and like yeah. civilization histories. Whereas craft world Eldari are like, oh, we, uh, we murder fucks until the universe exploded. These guys are going, <laughs> well, we competed with each other. We created a competitive market for ether quartz. We, uh, yeah. made ourselves better <laughs> in every yeah. way. And somehow it all came tumbling down around us like, hmm. I wonder how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, these these particular people being whispered to looked at all their rivals, vigilant for weaknesses and exploring for ways to bring them low. And eventually, a very famous Lumineth composer of Lumen symphonies vilified one of his rivals, saying that his rival must have a demonic muse to create such terrible music. 
Ooh, um, slander. Um, it was, li- yeah, literally slander. Um, and this began a cycle of accusation and very bad temper tantrums. Uh, sides were taken, vows of vengeance were sworn, and that affair blossomed into outright violence that saw the towers of each of these two people toppled to the ground. Um, Tyrion and Teclis were out at the time, dealing with some other stuff. <laughs> um, in the hidden gloaming, dealing with Slanesh. Um, and of course, they believed the Lumineth are fine. Look at them, they're sane, they're stable, they're exactly like the old High Elves who never did anything wrong ever. Because even gods are fallible. Um, of course. <laughs> word uh, spread pretty quickly that the taboo of actual outright fighting had been broken. Um, lots of rumours of demonology started circulating because it's not only a horrifying enough rumour to be uh, very interesting for the gossip of high society, it was also very useful for darkening your rivals' reputations. Uh, these accusations were, of course, all baseless. None of the Lumineth were actually involved in demon summoning or anything like that, but the fear and repulsion conjured by the idea of it sent ripples of paranoia throughout the entirety of Lumineth society, at which point, you know, premises were searched without warrants, privileges were revoked, advantages were taken on the flimsiest pretext. It was a spark that lit the kindling where this slander over a few short re- weeks turned up into an outright civil war across the entire realm. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, nothing so coarse as, as physical violence, of course. We couldn't possibly punch each other. That's unrefined. No, That'd barbaric. be the same as sleeping in public. Terrible. Um, instead, it started simple with spells made to embarrass and denigrate others, and then... Worked up to harm, cantrips in secret became hexes cast out in the open. Rites and rituals that were initially designed to, you know, mildly inconvenience someone were suddenly designed to wound them or even banish them to the void between realms. And ultimately, <laughs> to straight up kill people. <laughs> like. Oh, whoops. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this dizzying escalation took hold. So, so, let's, let's get this straight. The Lumineth are suppressing their emotions constantly. They're on drugs. Constantly. None of them are sleeping. And now it's all boiling over. They've reached a breaking point. This surging tide of repressed emotion lanced out, uh, burst out like pus lanced from a boil. Uh, before they knew it, every single Lumineth was calling on the direst enchantments and most powerful magic weapons they had, even the ones they swore they would never nu- use, like the nuclear bomb spell, uh, <laughs> and unleashing them on their hated rivals. Uh, this magical cataclysm was known as the Spirefall, because not only the Lumineth paid the price here, but obviously everything around them was also destroyed. Uh, with their abilities bolstered by Ether Quartz, they used spells so destructive to blast apart a palace with a single word, arcane miracles so powerful to flatten entire districts, the most potent spells obliterated cities in a single casting, filling skies with ash, choking rivers with the dead, and the afterquake shaking mountains from their place on the horizon. In a lot of places, reality just kind of ripped open from all the awful stuff happening, <laughs> at which point a bunch of Slanesh demons poured out, because of oh, course they did. Of course. <laughs> Again, this is literally the fall of the Eldar, except yep. better. Um, <laughs> The demons had been waiting all this time for pride and, like, the insanity of Lumineth Society's organization to crack and give them this ex- exploit to lever themselves into reality. Uh, and they danced amongst the carnage and the weeping of the elven peoples, because that's what demons do. Um, in a few places, there were some level-headed people remaining. Uh, the Lumineth fought back as islands of sanity in the middle of this maelstrom of disasters. 
Uh, Tyrion, with his martial genius, was perhaps the key point in saving the Lumineth, but the majority of Haish was so thoroughly consumed by this civil war and the demonic invasion that it brought along with it, uh, that the land shattered and cracked into several pieces, because these ten elegant paradises were just basically completely destroyed, and this was actually the start of the Age of Chaos in, Chaos in Haish, uh, because this was where Slanesh first burst out into reality. They're like, chaos doesn't exist until all this happened. Oh, elves, you need to learn. God. <laughs> Stop doing um, these things. <laughs> yeah, this is this this is the fall of the Eldari, but so satisfying. It's it so is. good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nice to see that there's echoes of it, obviously, for people that are familiar with the fall mm. of the Eldar. Um, mm. But it's nice actually seeing it in this sort of context where it's it's slightly tweaked. And like I said, it yeah. feels a bit more real. So, so to yeah, speak, you know, yeah. it feels more realistic. Where, like I said, the the one in obviously the the craft world one is obviously very extreme, and mm. and which obviously is to you know to be very forty k. Whereas this is mm. this feels yeah a bit more a bit more grounded, a bit more realistic, yeah. and it's actually nice to see their comeback, which obviously we're going to be talking about mm. uh, a bit yeah, later yeah. as well. We we've, we've gotten to the worst possible point now. Bring us out of it, Matt. Yes, Please. let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> hit the lowest lows. <laughs> so after things had hit, you know, the chaos fan, uh, Tyrion helped lead a defense on multiple fronts, whilst Teclas was nowhere to be seen. Oh come on, Teclas, where are you? And um, with the <laughs> the Lumineth crying out for his help, uh, but he heard their words whilst he was meditating but uh, was using his power and attention to reach out into into the etheric void and talk to entities far beyond the realms themselves. He communicated with Selenar, so, who is basically mm. the, the spirit of Hish's true moon. And he came to a realisation, the shifting of thought from one existence to another, uh, that, that it was orbiting a spirit known mm. as an Elementor. So, yeah, he's busy... He's busy, you know, thinking above at the moment, literally and figuratively. So communicating and bonding with a being such as this would probably not be a reality. But Teclas was used to a dual existence, you know, mm-hmm. by being a twin with Teclas. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. with Tyrion, I should say. Um, <laughs> but, wrong one. Yeah, he's a twin with himself. Um, that explains a lot. Um, so with Salinar, you know, used to a dual, you know, duality with the Sun Realm. So obviously they had a common bond here, Salinar with the Sun Realm, Teclas, and Tyrion. So Teclas told mm. Salinar the plight and the disaster his race was facing at this point. You know, it, like I said, yeah. it's really hitting the mm. fan. So, you know, with this, the spirit of Heesh appearing to them about a month after Teclas had come back. So, so basically, mm. he'd gone away for a month, or for a time anyway. <laughs> Teclas, you know, comes comes back. Hey, guys, what's going on? Um, oh, you know, God. obviously... <laughs> Basically, to see that is you know what was remaining of his people, um, but then, like I said, luckily a month or so after Teclas came back, Salinar appeared. It's a bit odd that they haven't really sort of explained. I know he's off meditating, mm. but it just feels mm. like he's just randomly come back and just gone. Yeah, um, guys, I've got an idea, and they're like, well, "What, what <laughs> is it?" Well, we'll find out in about a month's time. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, take a while. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so and that's what happens. Salinar appears a month later. Mm. And like I said, a plan emerged. So those Lumineth who wanted to do right by their people and make up for all the shit that they'd basically caused, um, were going to learn how to bond with the realm and become the first uh, Hishan elves to do so. So mm. 
this basically led to the element elementary temples being founded and led by those with the most you know who were most down to earth basically uh you know purposely picked by tech list so some of these mages had, like for example selflessly abandoned the techlian ladder despite being so high on it you know basically realizing that maybe they don't need to know such things maybe i don't need my mind melted um <laughs> may, you know maybe i'll just get off this ladder it, it's, it's a bit rickety um so or in the case of others had survived the descent from the the enlightenment addictions basically they sort of mm. kicked the habit so to speak so so these <laughs> sort of quite hardened elves now with, you know, with a new perspective, uh, I, it pays not to be selfish and to look mm. to greater things, uh, would became the first realm Lords, uh, and would, and would basically taught how to commune with the spirits of the realm. So this was what was known as the start of the wars of the reinvention. So this is basically where the Lumineth dealt with demons of the real kind and obviously those within themselves still. So they're, you know, they're trying to kick the habit and obviously go out and, and, and fight. So those wishing to walk the path of enlightenment had to choose an elementor to be their spiritual guide. Um, when, it's, when I think of spiritual guide, I think of spiritual liege. I think, I think of Gilliman mm. and the whole, the whole <laughs> ultra Marines thing from years ago. Um, you know, that all Marines, you know, treat the, you know, them as a spiritual liege. Um, anyway, I digress. And to, to devote themselves by, giving up all material wealth and knowledge and take the ele- the elementary uh, trial to, to prove that basically. So one such example would be the, would be one looking to be one with the spirit of the river. So the trialists would spend a year listening to the water, even the event of a flood. And then what they would do is they would swim out, tying weights to themselves in the hope that they would sink. If the spirit mm. deemed them worthy, they would breathe underwater, resurface, and become a devotee of the of the river spirit, along with mm. taking on a brand new name. If they failed, well, they would drown. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. well they would just die. I'm seeing some, I'm seeing some uh, things here. Again, it's all balanced, Cameron. It's all balanced. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Roll of the dice. How appropriate. So many temples have been founded since the reinvention and it has attracted criticism from those elves in Olgu, suggesting that they basically swapped one obsession for another. So, mm. but the Lumineth managed to start rebuilding the 10 paradises and started embracing the realm rather than taking it for granted. Um, I'm guessing they probably didn't start. They stopped sending beasts through realm gates at this point. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm just speculating. Um, they, so basically, they have a whole new perspective now and are ready to fight. So that's sort of the start of the turnaround. And I'll do a quick bit on the the nation, or like one of the particular nations. So one of the nations within Heesh is Ametrica, uh, which is arguably the most famous, especially as its inhabitants are well known for their thoughts over physicality. Uh, they'll ponder the, the correct decision on a matter, reflecting, uh, dwelling on the answer maybe and then performing a decisive act as the result they're saying is a sword blow well delivered is worth three leveled mm. in haste that's it you you mm. tell people um mm. it's also home to many elder mountains uh, and these being the source of many acts of enlightenment for example uh, one could conquer the peak of mount uh of Aven- um a massive feat with the top of the mountain going through the uh, cloud layer and by looking down over the nation you would lose your care of being an individual and look to fight as one great force uh, this is apparent when the, the stoneheart king uh, goes to war with the battle cries of the pupils uh, bellowing out as well uh, others 
can channel other spirits there as well, such as from the great uh, Daxo River and the Scintilla Falls, which will find themselves having similar revelations. Uh, only by going beyond, you can see the true beauty of this particular nation and appreciate the uh, enlightenment that follows. So, yeah, so like I said, you, this is one thing we're going to again now see is this whole, you know, devoting yourself to a spirit that that is mm. part of the realm, which is very cool. Yeah. So that's that. All right. Well, even as uh, Teclas taught the Lunath how to commune with the spirits of uh, Haish, he himself uh, cast his far-seeing eyes all across the Ten Paradises. Now, this was a pretty big task even for a god thing. God clone. I don't know, Teclas. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he managed to identify the areas of Haish he considered to be salvageable, and in doing so was able to coordinate people to evacuate from the areas he considered irredeemable and unsavable. Um, then Tyrion working with that, uh, was able to give support and together they built a very cogent war effort and began sort of slowly reclaiming slash just not losing any more of Haish. Um, sealing off the parts of the great nations that were basically ruined by reality splitting open. Uh, they burned big geomantic symbols into the, into the, uh, realm itself which a couple of pages back, you get a top-down view of the realm, and mm. you can kind of see them uh, in the way it's organized. Um, uh, and uh, just make sure the realm didn't fall to complete pieces with those, uh, and the strictures of war and magic were laid down, amongst them the decree Tyrionic, forming the Venari war hosts. Uh, and this has sort of shaped Lumineth military society ever since. So, this, uh, this grand reinvention had altered Lunath society entirely. They'd gone from the worst, the absolute worst, <laughs> to um, something much more in tune with nature and reality, something much more sustainable, some might say eco-friendly. I'm not saying this is like an <laughs> eco-socialist society that used to be a terrible capitalist hellhole. I'm just saying this is kind of the arc here. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they, but they, uh, they had this newfound sense of unity, giving them hope. But of course, chaos was still a problem, and even worse, death was on the rise, because this is just before Age of Sigmar's second edition. Mm. Um, now, the thing about Heist is it's always been a realm of symbols and symbolism, uh, and, uh, so, it manifested signs of, uh, the oncoming necrocake, like a sickening body sprouts the symptoms of disease. Uh, skies shifted to portray burning skulls. The, uh, skeletons of snakes sprung into unlife and began devouring their own tails. Bone fell out of the skies and blood mists just appeared across the desert to paint statues red like flayed corpses. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just art. It's an art installation. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Get away with anything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's the ghost of an ancient moon, uh, haunted the cosmos above Zytrekian, uh, settlements, and strange vibrations in amethyst magic, uh, made it pretty clear that something was up in Shaish. Um, by doing some scrying, the Lumineth ascertained that, uh, Sigmar's storm host, as well as the warbands of the Dark God and the hordes of destruction, uh, were all moving against Nagashazar, um, the, uh, Lumineth themselves, didn't really take part in this because they weren't out yet, but also <laughs> because uh, 
it takes a lot of work to get to Shaish, and they were busy with demons on their own home front, so it's fine. That's why they weren't there. <laughs> totally swear they existed back then. Um, <laughs> we have it on but, good authority. Uh, <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, but Teclis ordered them to raise ether quartz structures that would lessen any necromantic emanations uh, that assailed the lands of Haish. But uh, obviously, it wasn't enough. But it was all they could all they could really pull together after still centuries later being in the process of rebuilding from the spirefall. Um, and as soon as they had finally managed to gain control of the heartlands of Heesh, uh, the Necroquake happened. Everyone, hooray! Hey. Yay! Um, in every single one of the Ten Paradises, the dead roamed again, uh, and there were an awful lot of them because of what happened a few hundred years previously. <laughs> um, and of course, the unwise, the proud, and the incautious soon joined them, uh, either becoming night haunts or dead walkers. Uh, Lumineth are swift of foot and quick of thought, but there's a lot of ghosts and zombies out there. <laughs> the death will always have numbers over over uh, the forces of order. Uh, the vast majority of Luneth survived through their unity. Uh, they'd been warned of such an encro- encroachment and used the obelisks. Teclis had told them to prepare uh, to hold the worst of this disaster at bay, but the magical backlash meant a bunch of their spells started acting up uh, and becoming sentient. Uh, now, these spells were intended to destroy any threat to the fragile peace the Luneth had managed to forge, but of course, now they were just kind of roaming around Haish. Killing anything in their way because endless <laughs> spells were a thing now. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, but all this magical disorder made the Lumineth as a whole realize something. Um, basically, they no longer had the luxury of previous isolate of their previous isolationism because the other realms couldn't be trusted to look after their own affair- own affairs because they'd let this happen. Because they've been overrun by beasts. The issue there, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Too many, too many dragon dogs for the Stormcast <laughs> to actually make it to Nagashazar. There's one really slowed them down there. Um, <laughs> uh, and. In the middle of all this is the eternal threat of Slaanesh's eventual escape. Uh, Tyrion and Teclis were shaken by the Necroquake, but mostly concerned that uh, such an up-wrenching of the natural order might have messed with Slaanesh's chains. Um, and they quickly went to check on him in Ulgish, uh, along with Malarian and Marathi. Uh, but Malarian said, Oh, it's okay, I was watching Slaanesh the whole time through the Necroquake, and none of the chains were broken. We know that's not true, but Slaanesh is very tricky. But Malarian is also very tricky, so I kind of wonder if this is a line he did notice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's Malarian. We'll find out. Um, Tyrion, obviously, didn't have any cause to believe his own works were flawed enough. Um, but Marathi is the one voice of reason in this council, apparently. Um, and says, look, even if the chains are still fine now, they're going to break eventually. We can't keep Slaanesh prisoner forever. Um... The, you know, the infinite passage of time, um, and the, the gods parted ways without really uh, coming to any meaningful conclusion here, but Teclis was very concerned about what Marathi had said. Her words reached his heart. Uh, so Teclis went to speak with Selenar about it, and uh, believed that Marathi had a good point. Chaos was immortal, as were all the sins and flaws of men, Dwarden, and elves, and one day Slanesh would rise again. So Teclis gathered uh, all his allies and marshaled the armies of Hermetrica into a big vanguard with uh, Sire, Iliata, and Zytrek following behind. 
Lumineth would go out into the model realms and seal the areas where reality was thinning, shoring up the defenses of the entire universe. They'd make it so the demons of Slaanesh and the other Chaos Gods could never break through into reality again, and they would triumph. That's a noble idea, but it comes with a lot of complications. And <laughs> done it, just. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, they've got the right idea. You know, we'll, we'll yeah. pat them on the back for trying to do the right thing and realizing that what needs to be done. But yeah, you know, this is what creates balance. And mm. let's talk about mm. balance. Let's talk about the symmetry of war. 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 So the Lumina <laughs> treat preparing for war like an artist bringing towards, you know, bringing the aspects of a painting all together. Uh, this ties in with the way their society has been arranged into various schools of thought since the reinvention and their, you know, resonation with uh, Heesh. So basically their army formations are a combination of military logic, you know, with enemies having to deal mm-hmm. with a force regardless of position, uh, but formations deployed in such a way that looking upon them from above, you would, you know, you'd see lines, curves, blocks, etc., to symbolize meanings and to represent the twin mm. parts of their two leaders. Oh, this is such an elf thing to do, isn't it? Like they're, they're <laughs> doing formations, elven. but they they still got to they got to look good and such like mm. you know to do it. But hey, so basically, this is a runic mandala known as the Heisha Mensa. So the mm. core of it basically has two sides to represent the hemispheres of Heish. So you've got the Tyronic left side and the Teclian right side. So the yeah. left side, uh, the Tyrian side is basically represents brilliance and being one with the sun. In the case of Heesh, it's magical edge. Uh, well, that is its magical edge. I say where the, mm-hmm. uh, the perimeter, uh, is, uh, other aspects such as quick of thought, lack of doubt, inspiration, purity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just like their warriors who are swift to strike and without hesitation. So, this side also encompasses those who lead by example, you know, your Lord and Lady Regents, your champions, your master, masters at arms, etc. So the warriors of this side, you know, basically use actions rather than words, only using communication as and when it's needed. Uh, they are mm. the, you know, the pinnacle of tactical maneuvers and strategy, uh, moving their phalanxes of archers, spearmen, knights, etc. into the best and most deadly positions. Where, in contrast, the right side, the techless side, is more about thought, reflection, refinement, contemplation, and therefore the representation of the true moon, Selenar, i.e. providing light across the realm, even when the gloom of Olgu appears. So, you know, this hemisphere, as you would imagine, has your thinkers, your philosophers, your mages, etc. So those who are, you know, and but, saying that, those who are more hands-on and practical-minded on the the Teclian side uh, will use their teaching, will use the teachings of these elders, but will apply it to healing, map making, love a good map, uh, metal smiths, etc. So, you know, even though they're not, they're not, you know, your philosophers, they can still use the same teachings to do the more practical stuff, uh, you know, to basically combine this knowledge and, and perfect their craft. So there are those, though, as you would imagine, that are in the middle of the two sides, both being part mm. Tyrian and part Teclas. You know, these are your law seekers, a bit like us. Um, the, one, <laughs> the ones who would use blade and magic in equal amounts, you know, you're fighting mm. wizards basically, and are rumored to be the pure combination of the sun and the moon. Uh, so the base of the Haitian Mensa is, is composed of the four principal parts of nature which is basically mountain, river, wind, and light in this case, uh, that mm. the Lumineth adhere themselves to and are similar to that of the Teclamentari. The higher you go, the harder it is. 
But indeed, the higher you go and more attuned you become, the easier it is to bond with the spirits of the landscape. So this is what seems to happen. You have ten, like tens of thousands of river warriors uh, and thousands mm. of, you know, mountain aligned soldiers. So, because obviously it's easier to, you know, align yourself with the river spirits. It's a bit yeah. harder to align yourself with the mountain spirits, for example. Uh, but those attuned to the wind are even less in number compared to the previous two. But rarest of all is the ones who ascend above the clouds and commune with the light. Those beings are, you know, as much thought as flesh and blood, you know, basically becoming, you know, the legends of the Lumineth. So, mm. yeah, all about balance. All about yeah. that balance. <laughs> Well, now we know how the Lumineth wage war, let's learn a little bit more about the various nations. I'll kick us off. Uh, now, you've probably heard a little bit already in our, uh, in an earlier part of this about Imetrica, the Scions of the Peaks. These are sort of the most prominent of the Lumineth nations. Of all the people in Haish, these are the most invested in the concept that the higher you climb, the easier it is for you to become enlightened. Uh, this assumption has its root in the fact that uh, Imetrica has the largest and uh, some of the longest mountain ranges in all of Haish, with some of those peaks piercing the thin clouds to reach the zenithal vault high above. After Teclas first brought the secrets of the reinvention to them, these people were the first to master the technique of communing with the mountains, and indeed any geomantic spirit other than Selenar. Uh, a lot of them had already walked the high passes and levitated amongst the peaks during the Age of Myth, and although they did not realize as such, they'd already sort of started forming a bond with the spirits of the area. Uh, and unsurprisingly, there's more temples to the uh, various mountains, uh, to the mountain regions here, than in any other of the great nations. Uh, their horizon is pierced by the great peak of Valinor, the Stoneheart King. Since the coming of the Soul Wars, they've been accompanied to war not only by this particular mountain spirit, but by the spirits of entire chains of mountains, so much that the phrase Emetrica Walks has literal truth to it and has become a shorthand for their inevitable victory. Hmm. Because, you know, a bunch of high elves with literal mountains walking behind them. Um, <laughs> uh, and of course, because Haish is a perfectly symmetrical place, uh, this land has as many deep chasms as it has towering peaks. Uh, the Emetricans believe that to descend into one of the chasms is to go on this sort of spirit journey of introspection and mental delving that brings to the surface the deepest and most disturbing emotional experiences of all of all who venture down there. Uh, to venture into such darkness is no fear and all-consuming angst, but they do appreciate that there is knowledge to be found beneath the earth and that the shadows of the subterranean realm link to a new kind of truth far below. But only those who have sort of formed a close bond with the peaks of Hermetrica dare descend into the depths because the thread of wisdom from the mountain peak connects down to them and will always be there for them to follow back so they never get lost down there. Uh, the people of Metrica tend to wear triangular motifs echoing the shape of the high peak of Valinor, even if they have no affiliation with that specific mountain. Uh, some of these icons are capped with crescent moons, others interlinked in complex patterns, but the triangle is a recurring thing across basically all the Metrican art. Their people have a lot of pride in uh, making an alliance with the oldest and most enduring of Haisha's land spirits and often drop this into conversation. Just, just by the way, we're the first to establish a long-lasting symbiosis with the realm of Haisha. How about you? that that pride that was their initial downfall is still very much there but it's a little more controlled and healthy now Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, as for matters of war, it said that Emetricans think long, t- think at length before acting swiftly. They are the least hasty of the Luminaire, and prefer to commit only when they're sure of the land and the foe they fight upon, or fight with, rather. Um, they fight with their feet planted firmly on the ground, wear down the enemy's strength using their own, before landing lightning-fast coup de grace that fells enemies in a single blow. In this, they seek to emulate the pervious nature of a mountain and the immense force of an avalanche that it unleashes on those who displease it. Should an American war host commit to com- to protecting a sacred site, uh, perhaps to buy time for some kind of right or to bar access to a hidden valley, it can hold at bay a force that outnumbers its warriors a dozen times over. These are the Spartans, the peaks of Thermopylae kind of uh, dealio. <laughs> yeah. um, Protect those hot gates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the trespassers will only be able to set foot uh, upon those lands once they've killed every single elven warrior where they stand, which is no feat. The Americans make war with stoicism and skill, turning the very earth against their foe through the mastery of elementary magic. Uh, when the spirits of the mountain stride into the fight, acting as the hammer to the Venari's anvil, uh, even the armored hordes of the Chaos God are broken, crushed, and cast aside with grim solve and efficiency. Nice. Symmetrica. Yeah. Nice. That's them. Mm. That's them. <laughs> well, let's go over to another nation, the Makers of Wonder. Well, that's a title, isn't it? The Makers of Wonder. The Sayar. So, when the Spire Fall occurred, the lands of Sayar were ravaged more than most due to their reputation for being fantastic crafters and creators. I.e., if something mm. is if something is of Sayari quality, it's a big deal. Mm. So, their armories would have the most brilliant weapons. Their libraries full to the brim with tomes of magical power. Their art was astounding. Uh, so basically after the Okari Dara, they vowed never to create weapons of such destruction. No, we're not going that route anymore. We're, we're, we've learnt. So with those surviving, you know, shaken to the core after what happened, you know, they turned their talents to make things of beauty and to be long lasting, mm-hmm. you know, good quality, you know, yeah. comes with a two year guarantee. So however, the, <laughs> <laughs> however, the threat of chaos had, you know, has turned them to war. Once again, we must take up arms with Teclas, you know, convincing them it's the only way. Mm. So their way, you know, is to wear fabulous jewellery. We look fabulous. Yes. Uh, yeah. And to be the height of Lumineth fashion, uh, often wearing the teachings of Teclas on their skin as tattoos. Mm. Uh, but they are not, they're certainly not vain. You know, these jewels, <laughs> yeah, definitely not hey, vain. what does your tattoo uh, say? I don't know. I can't read Lumineth. I think it says yeah. embrace the light. No, it says... Cantonese meal with orange chicken. (laughs) 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 It says, I love mum backwards. Oh, not what I wanted. (laughs) So, yeah, they're certainly not vain. But, you know, these jewels have become artifacts of war inadvertently with you know dagger brooches that are capable capable of slicing hearts you've got breastplates that can melt eyes uh this is a thing for melting eyes and light beams mm. that shoot out of helms <laughs> that's cool you know who, who doesn't mm. want laser beams coming or light beams coming out of your helm uh yeah but these are not a patch on the the weapons that they used before the spyfall you know with such destructive force they hope never to use again you know they've been buried away you know to basically use for the most extreme situations you know smash glass situation so in their capital are ananathath uh, they hold yearly competition or trial to show off the brilliance of their craft so the entrance mm. must make it through a gauntlet of sentient chasms and time warping 
predator spells that sounds cool um to mm-hmm. finally make it to the gates of the city to basically show off their creations go look we managed to get through and mm-hmm. look what we've done so often the duardin uh you know of grungni will take part because obviously that's their thing as well only to be embarrassed yeah. by the artifacts uh, that the lumineth are capable of doing so but you know putting aside the fashion when it comes to the battlefield they shine brightest of all due to the sheer amount of ether quartz adorning you know them they love that ether quartz uh with their warriors deliberately you know playing up to this facade you know basically displaying yeah. their arrogance to inadvertently taunt their enemies and then obviously they do which then you know they'll then unleash their magical artifacts you know demonstrating not only their ability at crafting but showing what their previous generations were capable of too mm. so yeah that's the sayar cool yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on to the Iliata, the mothers of the spirit. <clears throat> so, the uh, the Iliathan cultural psyche is sort of personified by one thing. <clears throat> pun. It's not enough for light to simply shine. It must also regenerate and replace itself. They sort of maintain the idea that if illumination is finite, it can be used up, squandered, or lost, much like the ether quartz they used to abuse in the Age of Myth. Hmm. Uh, or the teachings of a soul who vanishes from a history without passing on their knowledge. They believe it's every luminous duty to sire young and then bring them up in such a way that not only do they replace their parents, but they exceed them in all things. Um, yeah, in this way, the elven race will become ever more enlightened through communal and generational change as opposed to individual excellence alone. Uh, mothers and motherhood are sacred in Iliatha. They bring light into the world. Not the light of Haish, but the inner light of the elven race that was once lost. Mm. These matriarchs uh, who propagate, uh, but also hand down the knowledge of the elders, have the highest status here, as do those who shepherd the young from the womb into the radiance of Iliatha itself. So midwives and uh, women who are also teachers, essentially. They have uh, ensured that their race is purified through birth rituals and sanctity of the light born from within. It's a little more eugenic-y, but they're trying their best, I guess. They can't be perfect. <laughs> um, in the darkest days of their history, uh, the Lumineth mindset meant that uh, a lot of a lot of them saw that childbirth was a unnecessarily painful, messy, and sort of physical distraction from the path to enlightenment. Uh, even back then, they just, they agreed that propagation was vital, but they thought, you know, we we don't do this the, the the physical way. No, that's disgusting. That's awful. No, no, no. We just clone ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> they just divide their do. consciousness in half to generate a new sentience. Oh. Uh, they split the mind, master over dexterity, and focus on two things at once. And in the height of the age of myth, some of them even uh, divided themselves bodily into into doppelgangers and clones. Uh, to mag- to where their magic advanced enough to create twins, where only one was standing a moment before. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, at one point, the practice of creating these, uh, these simulacra was so commonplace that, uh, that was become, that, that sort of became obsessive within the society. Some created triple, quadruple, or even quintuple versions of their own selves in order to extend their fame and influence. Uh, they indulged in progressively stranger and more obscure practices, safe in the knowledge that they would never betray themselves. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, ultimately, these hidden experiments led to a lot of weird paradoxical miracles and breaches of the laws of reality, and uh, Slaanesh's agents broke through, first as Whispering Tempters, then hordes of demons, and then Iliatha as a nation was almost completely destroyed. Uh, to this day, the topic is considered taboo, even in the farthest flung regions of Heesh. 
Since the reinvention, the creation of more than two physical iterations per soul has been outlawed. Uh, some clones still exist from the Age of Myth, working in collusion with their progenitors, uh, but in a lot of, uh, a lot of regions of Iliatha, these people are not welcome. Um, but the legacy remains in the practices and outlooks of their military. Uh, this is really interesting because they're still allowed to clone themselves, hmm. but you can only do it once. And oh, there's still, s- and there's still some of those original triple, quadruple, or quintuple clones hanging around from thousands of years ago. <laughs> But but everyone looks and like, aren't you one of the guys who like caused the almost complete downfall of our entire species? Maybe just stick at, pretend to be twins, you know? Yeah. Just don't go about in a group of three. You only go in twos. Oh, it must be a nightmare trying to solve your family tree. In these, yeah. Oh my guys. god! Could you imagine my great great grandfather? Which one of the four of him are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they're bound by, uh, strict laws of Genesis, but they are the most populous of all the Lumineth nations. Uh, they have a lot of twins in their military who never were, you know, like, biological twins. They're the cloning twins, uh, and are soul-bound together. Uh, it's common practice for the twins to study different military arts, to dress extremely differently, and even take, uh, a leave of absence from each other, so they don't get too close and fall into the conspiracy of duplication, that brought their nation down so long ago. But, in spite of it, they keep a close bond. A lot of them fight as Warden and Sentinel in the same Venari war host, protecting each other with bow and blade. Others devote themselves to elementary temples to ensure they can enjoy the companionship of their kindred spirit, while placing another entity entirely at the heart of their existence. They've sort of struck this balance between propagation and restraint, and so Iliatha has become a very powerful nation indeed. Lovely. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the last of the uh, noted sub-factions. That's the, the Zaytrek, the Lambent Mystics. So these are the spell shapers and the most magically gifted of the Lumineth, which obviously is a hell of a thing to say anyway. So mm-hmm. where they say that the young, you know, you can have like a 10-year-old Lumineth can defeat a battle mage, you know, of the uh, cities of Sigmar in, you know, a magic oh, jewel geez. without a sweat. You know, they're that good. Wow. So... With uh, you know their immense nation is in enriched with magic so much it is like you know clay for a potter, and the mm. uh, the sheer magical glow you know defeats the gloom of Ulgu even during a full eclipse you know it's a very bright place, um, wow. so yeah impressive they are able to talk to dis- distant moons like they are chatting to a neighbour, which has gained mm. them a reputation of being quite moon touched. <laughs> they're a bit out yes. there. Those uh, those <laughs> they track. They're a bit yeah. The, uh, they're a bit out there. So <laughs> this uh, this source of magic has meant that Teclis spends most of his time here, uh, of all the nations, basically, mm. uh, compared to, you know, again, compared to the, their neighbours, and in turn have entrusted, he's, he's basically entrusted the Zaytrakai to be his ambassadors and researchers of the arcane, especially seen mm. in the cities of humans more than any other type of Lumineth. So funny enough, though, despite their respect for, you know, for Teclis or from Teclis, there is something they revere more and that's Selenar uh, and all the other moon entities so much that they, they give their courtesy to Teclis purely to speak mm. to the lunar sphinx, you know, that Selenar. So it's ba- so what, the, so basically it's, as they say, rather speak to the source than the mouthpiece, you know, which muses Tyrion <laughs> quite a amount. So basically they, you know, they go, Oh yes. Oh yes. Lord, you know, Lord Tyrion, uh, Teclis. Yes. Uh, we just mm. want to speak to your 
big pet, your big uh, yes. sphinx there. Yeah, um, big thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah. Uh, so their love of magic extends you know, to the mages and spellcasters of other races, you know, whether it be mm. the Seraphon, the Canite ways of the Daughters of Cain, etc. So even though, you know, obviously they, they're very in tune with what they do, they're actually quite interested in what the other races do. Um, but saying that, the only magic they tend to not respect or marvel at is the, those of the forces of destruction, such as the Orcs mm. or the Ogres, uh, where it's more about faith than actual skill. Uh, and obviously, as you would imagine, it is the Bad Moon that is their real nemesis, you know, because obviously, effectively, both the Gloom Spite and uh, this particular nation are worshippers of, of moons. Uh, so, obviously, come into confliction with each other, and they basically looked at ways to find to keep the Bad Moon at bay, which has been very tough. So, from an aesthetic point of view, they tend to wear like lunar symbols and robes adorned with runes and signs devoted to Teclas, Salinar, and and also actually those who have enlightened to have spoken to moons in their own cases. So so effectively you'll have on their robes, I say Teclas, Salinar, but actually even some of their own kind who have, you know, managed to speak to the moon, they'll you know put in really high regard uh this can actually lead to crescent moon type auras appearing above their heads and it actually has caused a debate over whether they're given by their moon patrons or they just conjure them themselves <laughs> i can, i imagine it's the latter myself they, i imagine they're they're probably that vain they were like oh look look there's a little moon <laughs> above my head um oh gods may have put it there who knows um but mm. this does not detract from the main things you know which is but you know predominantly they use their superior magic for good and will make no yeah. hesitation in using it to destroy their enemies don't mess yeah don't mess with the best All right history <laughs> lesson time cameron yes here's our here's our big long timeline to shine across eons uh so we're going to start in the age of myth uh, Teclas and Tyrion show up in Haish, uh, one slightly after the other. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it turns out, uh, however, they don't actually need to do a lot of walking, uh, to get from one of the ten paradises to another for them is as simple as thinking a bridge of light into existence. Seconds later, they can simply stride across and be halfway across the realm. Um, they're pretty sad. There's no elves around. Shortly after, Sigmar is brought to Haish by Dracotheon, which is interesting. I didn't know that he was actually using Dracotheon to travel the realms instead of, you know, realm gates. Um, <clears throat> and Sigmar weeps tears of starlight as he beholds the glory of Haish, uh, which still exists to this day as the Lakes of Liquid Joy. I think that's an interesting world-building thing. It's also yep. probably unhygienic, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Um, he finds Teclas and Tyrion, informs them about the weird place they all live in now, and that some elves do still exist, and this is the beginning of the Pantheon of Order. Uh, Tyrion, Teclas, and Sigma are all teaming up and going, oh, thank God, someone else made it. Um, then, of course, Tyrion, Teclas, Malarian, and Marathi all meet up and capture Slanesh. The Head Knights are not happy about this, but, you know, it's how it is. Now, Teclas bends his almighty re- intellect to rescue the lost souls of his former people from Slanesh. They are rescued. The Eidneth are made. The Eidneth are exiled. We know the drill. A lot of experimentation and leaps of faith lead to the creation of the Eidneth. Hooray! Uh, not the Eidneth. Blah. The Lumineth. Thanks, Brian. Ah. <laughs> uh, Wrong uh, Glorious civilization is born. Uh, and the first forays. Um, so the Lumineth, sort of during the Age of Myth, 
are very happy with Haish. It's a lovely, glowing, luminous place of intellect and knowledge. Uh, and when they travel to other realms, they find them kind of dull and grubby by comparison. Uh, spending time around the primitives of the other realms. Ugh. Uh, yeah. 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 makes the ambassadors from Haish feel like they're actually being tarnished. They feel like they are slowly losing their intellects. They can, they have to simplify their thoughts and deeds every day just to fit in with these hooligans, these buffoons. Uh, and they take any excuse not to visit the people they see as beneath them, uh, with the exception of some Sigma-worshipping human cultures that settle in the center, uh, in the center of Haish. Uh, Lumeth tend not to stray from the ten paradises to meet other people unless there is no choice. Mm. Uh, now, a lot of things that seem impossible for other realms to solve is laughably simple for Haitian ambassadors who present the solutions if as if they're speaking to children. Uh, <laughs> when new nations can't be founded with mere logic or arcane artifice, the Lumeth, of course, are also quite skilled in the art of war. Uh, all this unbridled excellence doesn't go unnoticed amongst the burgeoning civilization seeded by Sigma. Uh, the Lumineth earn a reputation for being arrogant, elitist nonces. Uh, I say nonces. Um, <laughs> of course, the elves don't really care about the opinions of people they think are below them. Uh, as long as they can go back to Heish, they're happy. As long as they're not stuck out in the mortal realms, they just want to go home. Uh, and, of course, things don't last forever. The first whispers of Slanesh lead to the Spirefall, as the Lumineth basically destroy themselves in their terrible excess. Um, now, the, the city of Cathartia, this is during the Spirefall, uh, has a realm gate to Ulgu in its heart and has long been thus considered a place of dark passion, somewhere to be avoided by the majority of the Lumineth. Uh, it doesn't help that, of course, there's the great chasm of Cathartia where they dispose all their used-up ether quartz, their big landfill is there. Um... <laughs> And when, uh, when the Spirefall happens, a titanic battle of spells sees the city cast into ruins and the chasm overloaded with negative energy to the point where the realm gate is ruptured in a massive implosion which tears a hole through Haish all the way to Ulgu. Uh, and now the darkness of Ulgu constantly seeps up out of the ground here as the light of Haish is drawn through and blasted out the other side in Ulgu. So there's this place of terrible shadowy darkness in Haish and this place of blinding brilliant light in Ulgu simply because they, uh, they fought so bad they broke the realm gate. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Because that's, that's a, that's so a cool. big thing. That's a big undertaking. Oh, yeah. Realm gates are immensely powerful. You know, you mm. don't, they're not to be mucked around with. To for them to actually destroy one just shows actually what, what you know what what comes of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, at this point, uh, the Lumineth managed to rally and fight back, mostly through Teclas's Void Quest and uh, connection with Selenar and Tyrion's massive military prowess. Uh, and they sort of begin to pull themselves back from the brink. Uh, Teclas teaches them to sort of commune and reinvent themselves with the land, uh, and his disciples go forth into Haish and take a new master, one of the major features of the uh, landscape itself. The elementary temples of river, mountain, wind, and zenith are formed, and after a lifetime of great sacrifice, those who go to the temples are vested with their related powers. Uh, and the supplications and atonements pacify the angered spirits of Haish, who suffered so much during the Spirefall. 
Um, <laughs> the rest of Lumineth society reforms, finding their power in the environment around them, rather than focusing on selfishness. And a new dawn for the Lumineth begins, as they can truly claim to be the realm lords now. Yeah, good on them. Yeah. Um, mm. And uh, now we go to the Age of Sigma. Uh, finally, the Stormcast starts showing up. Um, basically, uh, riding on lightning, the Tempest Lords descend to Haish, fighting to take out the caravan of Slaneshi Godseekers known as the Great Vexation uh, that roams the mountain passes and valleys of uh, of uh, Haish. Well, uh, and the Alarith uh, march out and bar the way, preventing the Stormhost from reaching. The Slaneshi worshippers. Very strange. Um, incredibly strange. The Stormcasts are not happy with this. Assume they're corrupted and attempt to attack them. And the <laughs> uh, Lumineth uh, do not actually fight back, but instead defend themselves, narrowly avoiding being killed. Until finally, the mountains themselves shake and completely bury the cavalcade of terrible Slaneshi worshippers. At which point, the remnants are mocked up by the Lumineth and Stormcasts working together. Uh, as the Stormcast begin to understand, the elves here have a real good grasp of the environment, mm. <laughs> shall we say. Um, and within a week, a delegation from Azir arrives in Sintil, asking for a formal audience uh, with Tech- Tyrion and Teclis at their earliest convenience uh, from Sigma. So uh, it's like, hey guys, I know I kind of shut you out for the last few hundred <laughs> years. We need to talk. We should probably, we should probably talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, now... We have more problems. This is the Battle of the Simulacra. Uh, so, the Black Phoenician's Cult, a secret Zinch cult in one of the universities in Zintil, uh, unleashes this massive firestorm of demon energy uh, going across the Girdle Sea to the coast of Lucid Dreams. It causes untold havoc, burning and mutating the coastlands, uh, and it traverses a stretch of land scarred by the Spirefall, reopening an old wound in reality, and Zinch demons pour out of it. Uh, Iliartha, yeah, Iliartha is the nation sent to deal with this. Uh, they surround and contain the demonic incursion, but every time they cut a demon down, uh, it is reformed on the far side of the realm gate in the realm of chaos, ready to come through again. Uh, the clone matriarch of Ilia, Iliartha, which is a great position, that's a cool title, clone matriarch. (laughs) Clone matriarch, Um, lovely. Yeah. Uh, she realizes this when she sees the same exact Zinch demon being killed and showing up again three times within three hours, uh, and orders a counter assault uh, with the Clone Legions Order sixty six. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the clone twins of this particular legion are ordered to split up. One twin uh, will stay on the Haitian side of the tear and kill demons. The other twin will traverse into the realm of chaos through a tear in reality, um, using the uh, twin the the twins linked minds. When a when a twin on the Haitian side kills a demon, the one on the other side knows it's about to show up and is ready to cut it down as it reforms, thus ending the magic ritual that has sort of kept them regenerating. But there's a terrible cost to this. Um, the twins that march into the realm of chaos are stuck. And cannot march back out, and so the legion is literally cut in half. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah, well, talking of pretty rough, <laughs> <laughs> believing a, a realm war could kick off, Ambassador Kalanthral of Neo uh, has a rescue party of basically mages and puzzle solvers from Sayar uh, 
flanked by Orlan warriors uh, sent out to retrieve him from Olgu when he fails mm. to answer his mobile phone. No, he fails to answer <laughs> his third magical summons, which yeah. is, you know, similar. He's not, answering, he's not picking up. So, which is very unusual for him, you know, as any sign of danger, mm. he would n- normally beam above, you know, the, uh, the clouds and come back down when the threat is gone. So obviously mm. they realize a rescue team has to be sent out and talking about the rescue team, it ends up being attacked by Malarian shadow demons in the cloying mm. forest. Uh, oh. They just about survive, but had to leave their, their uh, gifts behind, which they were going to give as part of being ambassadors. Uh, so mm. the, the gifts were taken back to the nearby catacombs by the demons that had attacked them, uh, who decided, you know, to to fight over the gifts because basically they were looking for a particular magical artifact that the ambassador had told mm. them was of great power. Uh, he had, he had told them because he had been tortured half to death by them, uh, you know, being in shadow chains, so he couldn't translocate out of there. So basically, that's why he wasn't answering. They had uh, they had captured him. So mm. the artifact was unleashed during this uh, scuffle, basically between the demons, uh, which inadvertently obliterated them uh, and gave enough power to the ambassador so he could bake, break his bonds from the shadow chains and become an angel of light. The, the light given off allowed his rescuers to find him and take him back to Heesh. Uh, but for diplomatic reasons, he never blamed Malarian. He kept silent yes. to no, help keep the balance. As that don't, you know, it's uh, just, we won't talk about these things. You know, we need to keep the balance <laughs> uh, between the realms, but Hey, let's talk about the forces of Mogluk who would burst through the Crag mm. Stomp realm gate. That sounds a good realm gate, the Crag Stomp. <laughs> That's a good realm gate. That's a good one, isn't it? That'll be a fun place. So he, they, you know, his forces you know, burst through the realm gate because they were fighting a really tough enemy, and that enemy mm. was thirst. Because basically there was nothing to drink out there in the uh, Aurelian or Aurelunian vastness. Uh, made worse by their elven mage pursuers because basically they were altering the heat and light to make the temperature unbearable in this place. Mm. Uh, eventually, they, you know, the uh, Mogluk's forces came to water. They're basically, it was the river Ioda uh, where they started gulping it down. Nom, 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 <laughs> as you'd imagine, that is that is exactly mm. what they were doing. Uh, but were soon having their throats slit as their elven pursuers, plus nearby Lumineth who worshipped the river, started to mm. attack them. So many of the orcs were laid low, but still put up a fight, you know, being orcs, but uh, they end up, it, which caused the river itself to become a war form. Because again, remember, it's all about the spirits and mm. they can literally take form and led the elves to victory. Since then, the river has raged twice as fierce with the souls of the orcs, giving it a savage anger. I love that. Uh, right. Okay. Let's talk, actually, you know, Cameron was talking about the, the forces of Zinch. Let's talk about the blue scribes, blue scribes mm. and screamers entered the Scarties uh, near uh, Zaytrek and with the wind spirits howling their disgust, they it prompted the nearby elementary of the slicing gale to chase after the Zinch and interlopers across the Zoro Stramaran desert. That's a name um, with mm. the, the blue scribes fighting mages, riding clouds with magic, you know, exploding there, but there was big, basically big aerial magic fight. So the blue scribes remained unharmed despite fighting for a day and a night. That was until the slicing gale itself took form. It was basically like a fox faced like spirit and fires off a single arrow mm. to, to stop the blue scribes, desecrating the wells of epiphanies, uh, which is 
which it has made its home. So the arrow mm-hmm. weave through the magical wards of the blue scribes like knots through a tree and hit one of them. Uh, in turn, the the brother of the Bruce of the blue scribe quickly cast a spell to stop him bursting into brimstone horrors because that's obviously what would happen, uh, and summons a portal to get them back to the crystal labyrinth with the slicing yeah. gale laughing as they disappeared, <laughs> and such like. Right uh, next, the lance of light. This is one of my favourite. Mm. I must admit, mm. this is one of my favourite bits I've read in this whole tome. So a young man called Trihalion steals an orb of translocation as part of a heist. And then to add to this, he uses the orb to beam into his father's sanctum where their family heirloom, the Lance of the Realm's Edge, really cool name, Mm -hmm. is and wishes to use it against the geists attacking their lands. You know, that's, that's cool. And okay. He's been a bit naughty. Mm. He's, you know, he's, but he's doing it for the right reasons. But then, let me just grab the battle tome because I need to read this. <laughs> it's worth it. Um, so, but then a huge beam of light shoots from the lance and makes a hole mm. in. <clears throat> right. This is what it makes a hole in. So it me makes some, a light uh, or hole, I should say, in the Citadel Wars, a nearby yeah. museum of music, the scaffolding yeah. of a statue of Tyrion, a dozen yeah. elder ironbarks, a caravan okay. of human traders, the oh, left no. leg of a raging megagargant attacking the caravan, the lower <laughs> slopes of Mount Aurevelia, and 16 Galzex grazing on the outer plains of Zaytrek before dissipating at the perimeter. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> he literally just bursts a hole through all of that in one, one go. The, the way it says it, it dissipates at the perimeter inimical implies that this would keep going across the entire realm until it yeah. hits the edge. Yeah, oh I would agree God. with that. That literally just happened to hit the perimeter and then just dissipate. Because obviously, you know, that's where obviously all the magic is out there. So I imagine yeah. it just, it just there was so much magic out there, it just couldn't literally break through it. But, but like you said, mm. if that ha- wasn't hitting the perimeter, it would just go on forever. I just love the fact oh it sort God. of like took out a caravan, took out the leg of a mega gargant who happened to be attacking said caravan. <laughs> <Taking> the caravan. <laughs> uh, that is amazing. Uh, oh, and so I, I, I like the I like at the end he quietly puts the lance back and heads back to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like dude, dude, dude. <laughs> nothing nope, to see here. Anything? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Oh, I love that story. It's such a, it's so cool. Um, mm. So <laughs> carrying on uh, the Okaradara. Uh, is made worse by the Necroquake, obviously, mm. with Heesh crumbling away. So the Skinari form a council to stop this. So what they do is they form a rune that would be sympathetic to the particular plight of a region. Then mm. they would perform a huge solar ritual uh, to power said rune, uh, which in turn would be a miles-long symbol of magic in the ground, stopping the crumbling. So that's, yeah, you know, team up, mm. cause a, create, yeah. create a big rune, stops the crumbling. So uh, on from there, you've got the, the great nations get ready to, for war due to the Arcanum Opula, or Optimaris, say, and the threat of Sinesh with Teclas preparing for if Sinesh breaks the chains of paradox. Uh, he discusses this with Salinar, and in turn, the Magi of the Temples discuss it with the various elemental spirits and you know start asking for aid. Uh, Tyrion warns that by invading the lands of humans and Dwardin and and other elves, they could annoy their allies, but Teclas believes this is the right choice and to save the other races from corruption. So the war hosts mm. go to war. Actually, that's one of the examples where Teclas actually disagrees with Tyrion. 
<laughs> for once, you know, what we were saying earlier, where he seems to always agree with Terry. And that's actually one case where he doesn't for, <laughs> mm, on that. Mm. Um, and lastly, uh, you, since the Arcanum uh, Optimart, uh, magic has been relaxed. And those who dispel magic at the edge of the realm uh, will be given permission to use spells that wouldn't usually be allowed due to the good that they're doing for everyone. Again, that may, mm. you know, tie in with the, the Lance situation yeah. as well because obviously yeah. you've got lots of lumineth basically out there dispelling this wild magic so mm. you know so like i said they if they go out and do this they're sort of given a bit of special permission basically so they can start to use spells such as the sanctum of amantok which is basically where these are basically the end the lumineth and the spells uh where the ground bursts open to form a circle mm. and shield, shielding around the mage using the life force of the realm to create it based around the rune uh nagra uh this rune is linked to both rescue and imprisonment with the shield turning near, nearby spells into flashes of light or you've got mm. the uh Hyshen, uh realm stones which are basically these twin crystals in a sort of teardrop type shape that rotate mm. around each other using the refracted light of heesh that would otherwise go into the ether, which in turn creates a reservoir of power when spells are cast near it, allowing the lumineth mm. to tap into it. Or, finally, you could use the Rune of Petrification, a spell that rips the crust of the realm, causing those standing nearby to start turning to stone and eventually become mm. living statues. Ooh. So, um, so yeah, so that's Ooh. a brief look at their timeline and, and yeah. some of the shenanigans they've been up to. So yeah. I think it's time, Cameron, to round off all this with all their various units and yeah. uh, war making. All the units. Yeah. All the units. Yeah. Which actually is not all that many. The units. <laughs> no, thankfully. Thank God. Uh, this, is, this is the good thing about Age of Sigma. Uh, it hasn't been around so long, so army lists tend to be shorter on units, bigger on flavor. Thank God yep. for our sakes. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'll start, I'll kick us off with Archmage, Teclas, and Selenar. Doesn't mm. say he's a god. Um <clears throat> The High Lord Teclas is known as the Mage God, for he's one with the arcane power of the realms. Again, it's not saying he is, just saying that's what people call him. I'm just putting this out there. Really, this is, I'm sticking to this one. It's this and Jagatai Khan on an Eldar jet bike. That's all I have. <laughs> it's fine. I, the thing is, the more we say it in these episodes, and then they, it does actually come to pass, you've got all Eventually. this recorded footage to say that you were right. <laughs> I was right. Um... <laughs> Yes. Uh, a lot of people uh, whisper that he's actually transcended physicality entirely. He's actually a being of pure light that retains its humanoid form only to communicate with those lower down the ladder of enlightenment. Uh, there are a lot of legends about his former lives. That he used, you know, he sacrificed his mortal life to ensure the elf race survived. He unbound the vortex of magic at the heart of the world that was to deny chaos. Uh, he kept Heish from being consumed by the Necroquake. And, of course, he never says anything about these, as he tells his disciples, those who have ventured into shadow for the good of all have earned the prerogative of dwelling in the light. Basically, I've done my time. Don't talk about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, his arrival in the realms uh, saw him desolate and, to- desolate, desolate, bleh, 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 desolate and tormented for many years. Uh, when he and Tyrion... Uh, Trap Selenshin began to extract elven souls. Uh, he sort of found a new lease on life. Uh, he had a lot of doubt and strife because uh, he, even even as sort of more or less a god, he found uh, the the ability, the remaking of an entire race was beyond his talents, uh, as evidenced by the Ideneth. 
But after lots of other attempts, uh, he finally struck the correct arcane procedure to turn tortured elf souls into hale, hardy, and luminous beings. Uh, And, of course, many hundreds of years later, he realized his mistake as their terrible pride caused their downfall because they're still, like all the other elves, tainted by Slaanesh. Uh, with the Ten Paradises destroyed and riven by war, he desperately sought a way to make the Lumineth whole once more, and in the dark, etheric void above the realm, uh, he spoke to the spirit of Heish's true moon, uh, figuring it had the detachment needed to offer solutions he could never find in the realms. And uh, sort of venturing up there as an astral projection, he pleaded with Selenar for days and nights, and was met only with silence. And doubt. When Ulgu eclipsed the moon, uh, Tepus was upset with such despair, he contemplated throwing himself into the void, never to return. Uh, but when the eclipse was over, there stood Selenar, taking a physical form with a, of a big winged lion thing with a mask for a face. Selenar's super creepy, I love it. <laughs> Uh, it engaged him in a long debate telepathically, uh, speaking in the tongue of ancient Ulthuan, which is really interesting as a, like, an aside. Why does Selenar know the old elven language? Mm. Super weird. Mm. Um, and of course, uh, at first it was inscrutable and sort of indifferent to what the Lumineth had done. Uh, of course, what happened down in Heish, not very important to the moon itself. Uh, but as Teclas talked on, uh, Selena's face, uh, slowly became sorrowful as he told the tragedies of the people below and how the survival of the realms themselves was hanging by a thread. And eventually, Selena was convinced. Um, mostly when Teclas started talking about Slanesh, because everyone knows about Slanesh. <laughs> I got his attention. <laughs> yeah, that gets a lot of people's attention. Um, it, tra- it traveled, uh, with Teclas into the realm sphere of Heish itself, taking a proper physical form and abandoning the moon, turning the moon into a lifeless rock, which is really interesting, the idea that the moon was alive and then just chose to become this. Mm. Still there, technically. Yeah, yeah. It's dead, not, though, which is not a as weird bright. way to think about a moon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and since then, Teclas and Selenar have been uh, inseparable. They often commune in silence high above the stratosphere of Heish, but when they descend, they alter history. Uh, it's not uncommon for the two of them to lead a vanguard strike force and uh, sort of be the key linchpin, telling uh, telling a tale that will change the fate of the realms. Selenar has an aura of moonlight that inspires nearby elves, while Teclas, obviously, is just a master mage. He's incredible. He's <laughs> terrifying. We're not talking rules in this, but dear God, this boy can cast spells. Oh, yes. Put that out there. It's insane. <laughs> Ah, yeah. I just think it's funny, actually, Mm. at the end where you're saying they're sort of communing in silence. I imagine that the other Mm. Lumina are thinking, are they talking about us? Like, (laughs) What are they doing up there? Yeah. Come down here. Talk properly. (laughs) Right, so (laughs) let's move on to the light of Eltharion. So despite appearing as a glowing suit of armor and a warrior as deadly as the best, where no mortal blade can cause harm, things weren't always this way. Once upon a time, no, sorry, once upon a time, back back in the world that was, uh, the great leader and warrior Atharian the Grim stood against Nagash, which unfortunately led to the destruction of the elves. Um, Just saying, Mm. um, with Atharian being turned to dust by Arkin the Black. But his resistance must have had an effect on Teclas and Tyrion, as he wasn't forgotten. 
So mm. uh, timey-wimey, spacey-wacey for an untold time of uh, amount of time, his soul endured in minute pieces, luckily not claimed by Nagash. So Teclas had a mm. theory. A soul cannot be fully destroyed. So therefore, by meditating and fasting for a month, I don't know what the fasting did, but he managed to reach out and link all the soul particles together. All he needed now was a host to put mm. the soul particles in. Luckily, he came across an elf who looked like his old friend. So it uh, sounds like a real proper story. So he came across an elf that looked like his old friend. So he asked the elf <laughs> if, he, if he could use reproduction, reproductive magic to clone him. <laughs> no, said the elf. No. Um, which, which did. The elf said that yes. That violates my humanoid rights. Yeah, yeah. You well, shouldn't ask on. that of people. Uh, I look like one of your friends, so you're going to clone me. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound right. I'm not right. sure about that, no. <laughs> but luckily you're techless, so I suppose I can't refuse. So yes. he, he, accept, he accepted this. So to add to this as well, techless had asked the uh, the Ciari to, to craft weapons and armor to match what he could remember Altharian using, such as his fang sword and his ornate armor. So... Mm. At this point, with the clone host, the armor's ready. All that was needed was to put the soul in it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the withering spell that had killed him in the first place still lingered in his soul, which caused the magically made clone to turn to dust as well, um, unfortunately. <laughs> so luckily, as Tekla started weeping with frustration, the armor magically began to glow and started to salute him. Uh, so this is how the light of Otharian came to be, you know, using its talents for war to lead the Lumineth into battle. Uh, but Teclis hasn't stopped trying to create a body that will accept the soul, uh, despite going through many bodies turn into dust. <laughs> Fabius Bile, anyone? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the light of Otharian. Man, that is such a great take on like a Phoenix Lord style archetype. Mm. It's so cool. Yeah. Instead of you like put it. on the armor and you become the thing, it's like we know we put a body in the armor and just turn back into the armor. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. And really badass model as well. <laughs> oh yeah. I like, yeah. I like this one. Super cool. Alright, uh let's talk about Scenari Cathalars. So a Cathalar is someone with an important role in Lunar Society. It's their job to take the emotions stored beneath the quartz and in solemn solemn rituals burn it away into clouds of raw psychological energy. Uh, they're very skilled at this and thus can actually channel this emotional byproduct into the ranks of enemies, driving them to madness, or even turn it into harmful animations, emanations that can physically damage, well, physically damage, spiritually damage an enemy's soul. Uh, Cathalars are solemn figures bedecked in deep roads and arrayed with relics of sublimation. They're not hasty. They can't act too fast because if they do, the thrill of action could tip their balanced state of mind into an emotional spiral, seeing them give over to sudden impulses. Instead, no matter what's going on, Cathalars move with slow and measured calm, almost trance-like. Uh, even their speech, more like a dark hymn than a rushing scintillating melody, as many other Lumineth voices are. Each Cathalar keeps their hands and, hands and feet bare at all times to stay in touch with the geomantic magic of the lands they stand on, uh, grounding themselves effectively, allowing the earth to soak up some of the terrible negative energy they're wielding. 
should the swell of emotion from the ether cloth become too severe, they can funnel it through themselves and out into the realm around them. Flowers wilt and grass blackens as they sluice out this intense emotional power that would otherwise drown them. Grief, guilt, despair, rage, gnawing angst, all these and more burn from the bold censor that is the sacred tool of the Cathalar Order, darkening the realms with the intensity of spent emotion. This this is the uh, extremely edgelord section of Luminous Society. <laughs> <laughs> it, they, these guys are like peak, peak Warhammer, grim, oh, our discarded mm. emotions burn reality. <laughs> <laughs> We feel they too do stand much, out so we a bit. throw it away. <laughs> they stand out a little, yeah. Uh, and of course, when the Cathalar wish to weaponize this negative emotion, uh, they do it by psychically guiding the smoking residue of ether quartz into the ranks of the enemy. At first, foes' eyes water and their minds spiral into confusion, but then as the emotional burns take hold, they shiver, shake, and convulse. Soon, they rake their own skin, shriek their lungs out, claw at their own eyes, and even attack those around them in a blind rage. Even undead can be afflicted by the smoke, finding their voices wailing and chattering as the intensity of their terrible existence becomes clear to them and they collapse (laughs) to the ground. So this is like (laughs) negative emotions that even ghosts and zombies go, oh no, what have I become? That says a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, throughout all this, the Scenario Cathala simply observes, detached and calm as the enemy fall apart before them. It is a matter of scant seconds before the Luminous Soldiery capitalize on this uh, advantage, darting in to put the foes out of their misery. Mm. They're, they're, they're pretty messed up. Yeah, <laughs> as far grim. as a weapon of war goes. <laughs> well, let's go from the Grim to the Shining. Let's uh, talk mm. about the Shining Companies of Heesh, so the, basically the, the bulk of their war host. So let's start with the Venari Orlan Wardens. So provide these are basically their uh, spearmen so providing a wall a wall of uh, spear death and ready to take the charge the wardens will find the best tactical positions in which to defend against the enemy their baiting tactics are not performed with haste knowing their fellow warriors will soften up the enemies with uh, arrows and magic therefore forcing them to charge as a way of escape to be met with a wall of spears so you know the past of the lumineth has has taught them that standing shoulder to shoulder rather than thinking as individuals is the best course of action with the Orlan Wardens, the greatest example of this. So Orlan mm. translates to luminous host and yeah. shows their magical origins like all Lumineth and is proven in their weapons as well. Their spear tips are made from sun metal, uh, bathing in the lights mm-hmm. of Heesh for centuries and imbued with magical energy. With the correct phrase being said in combination with the boosting power of ether quartz, the tips will burn metal like it was wax. And the wardens have learnt the timing of this to great effect, activating the power at the last second to surprise a charging enemy. Uh, Their phalanxes clearly do not believe in stealth. They would rather burn brightly and look down at the enemy directly. Uh, This site and formation is known as a shining company. Uh, where their eldest will ask for the wardens to use their ether, ether quartz reserve, usually in like a jewel or part of their armor, uh, to cause the light of Heesh to course through their weapons and reflect off their robes and armor to basically provide a really cool mirror-like effect. So this makes them come across like quite angelic figures, intimidating the lesser intelligent races, uh, making would-be snipers go blind, or making the forces of chaos curse against the light of Heesh. So... Uh, that's them. Then you've got the Venari Orlan Sentinels. So these are 
the archers of the Lumineth, so with ranged warfare taken seriously by the Realm Lords, the, you know, the thought of mm. showing their superiority from afar as their arrows pierce the sky rather than getting bogged down in close combat seems to speak to them on quite a, a soul-type level. Uh, as you would imagine, mm. their use and creation of the, bowl, of the bow is deemed greater than many of the the simpler factions where they've invented many types of bow and arrow with their most successful being the triple stringed arc bow uh, it has two modes of fire <laughs> if the uh, the wielder wishes to strike the enemy with a swift and direct arrow it can do this with extreme pace and power but if they wish to fire from a distance they can angle it in the air and fire it in an arc with basically where the arrow dips at the last second allowing it to bypass armor and get to the juicy weak points of the victim also, with their high sentinel, that's basically their champion in their unit, uh, ha- who has the ability to see through the eyes of their scryhawks to identify targets and basically rain death upon them, which the Lumineth take pride in, as it basically demonstrates a way to survive to the other races. So even then, they're arrogant with their archers, <laughs> basically mm-hmm. saying, well, look, we can, ki- we can kill you from afar and, and survive. Uh, and then lastly, we've got the Venari Dawn Riders. So these are the cavalry of the Lumineth, and mm-hmm. they basically create a bond with their steeds across uh, the plains as they learn how each other moves and thinks, you know, become one with their their mount mm. as they travel yeah. through, you know, unforgotten paths and the, the dust of long lost empires. So basically this bond is increased as the rider will name their steed by placing their foreheads together and then will name them via the inspiration that comes to them. And mm. this bond translates to the, the battlefield as the Dawn riders charge and, and fight together as a, tightly knit formation overcoming dense terrain and corpses as if they were nothing by riding close they can form a wall of light with their sun metal uh, lances just like the legends back in the age of myth where riders would leave a trail of white fire through endless skaven Uh, and lastly Mm -hmm. just like the wardens they can use their ether quartz reserves to power their lance tips to burn through the armor of their enemies so they so that's their mm. like i said their main bulk of their forces and they're quite as you can see in it you'd see it in the tabletop as well they're quite elite you know they're sort of they're very good at what they do and and how they mm. sort of mm. you know team up to to take yeah. on their enemies so that's them mm. absolutely all right now we'll head over to disciples of the mountain dealing with the alarith so the sorry mountains of Haish have a limitless power they've stood tall since the creation of the water realms and have borne witness to the lessons of passing eons the Lumineth have come to realize this and cherish the knowledge that mountains can impart to them. To be one with the mountain is to exude unshakable confidence, to embody stoicism that turns aside the ravages of time, and to harness a wisdom lasting beyond mortality. Uh, during the Age of Chaos, obviously, uh, with the entire Lumineth civil war going on, um, the realm itself, Heish, and the mountains that are part of it, paid the price Many were splintered or crumbled, cored by corrupted magma, or infected from the inside out with strange curses, turning once peaceful peaks into malevolent, bitter spirits. To travel their valleys was to risk being buried under landslides, to climb their pathways was to be shucked off and broken upon cruel rock, to stand in their shadow was to freeze to death. For long centuries, the mountains were seen as places of fear, to be avoided at all costs by the Lumineth, who used to seek their peaks as a shortcut to enlightenment. Because you're literally getting taller. <laughs> <laughs> of course, once Teclis returned to begin the reinvention, the first Alarith mages approached the mountains in supplication. They braved the worst that the peaks could throw at them, sometimes literally. 
Um, and a great many of them died in the process, but some managed to reach the upper peaks, taking nothing with them and enduring only through their own inner fortitude. They sang laments and songs of supplication, asking for forgiveness. They made respectful works of art to decorate the broken peaks, as a celestial writer might plait the, plait the mane of their noble Torolon. As they fasted under the light of Haish and its moons, they wasted away, and many of them died. Eventually, the mountains relented, these people who had offered, offered up their entire lives and courted their own deaths in the process, the Alarith uh, had proven their desire for atonement to be sincere. Algae and moss grew around them where they sat, and small creatures crept from the cracks, bearing their throats, uh, offering themselves up as food to the fasting elves. The Alarith ate sparingly, uh, not one to seem greedy, uh, because these gifts and the relationship with the mountain were tenuous. Over time, the relationship became stronger and more robust, allowing for a spiritual bond between elf and mountain, blossoming into full symbiosis. With their blessing, the mages of the Alarith became more stoic and enduring than any elf before or since. In battle, they embody strength and solidity. Rather than becoming incorporeal like the Zenith temples, they become hard as granite, yet still able to breathe. They can confer this to Alarith's stone guard around them and draw power from the symbiosis of mage and warrior alike, entomb the enemy in solid rock, or even channel Heisha's power into the spirits of the mountain that form their patrons. A stone mage in battle is a soul in perfect balance, while around them the enemy regiments crumble and break. The stone guard are the warrior ranks of the Alarith, uh, and they stand sentinel over mountain temples that form the focus of their bond between elf and elemental patron. It is said that a stone guard can stand immobile, feet rooted, for years or even decades without taking food or drink. Their connection with the elemental sites uh, is so deep that they actually receive nourishment from nature around them, which is really, they're sort of almost photosynthetic uh, as long as they're in the mountains, which is really cool. Um, if a traveler approaches one of their temples, the serene elves smoothly move to block their path, demand them to declare their business intent and see them off. Um, those who, uh, who try to press the matter find themselves rendered unconscious with a blow from a hammer and carried down the mountain and then just kind of dropped off at the foothills. <laughs> they love dumping when, stuff in places, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they love dumping. <laughs> We're not going to kill you, but you're really annoying us and you're definitely not allowed here, so bonk, down the mountain with you. <laughs> Back where you came. Um, now, the thing is, to become an Alice warrior is a pretty, uh, pretty harsh process. I have to seek the blessing of the mountain by fasting, enduring the elements on the most exposed and hostile peaks, and run along with the avalanche, if that's the test that the mountain chooses to put you through. At the climax of the trials, you have to literally be buried alive in the mountain. Um, should you earn enough favor with the mountain, there will be tiny cracks in your burial site that you can breathe through, and after a full week under, under the soil, you rise again as an Alarith warrior. If you're not sincere in your wish uh, to become an Alarith, you are forever buried underground, and the flanks of the most irascible and irritable Haitian mountains are dotted with the corpses of many such unworthy souls. I, d I don't like that it's up to the mountains, like, temper <laughs> of whether or not you survive bonding with the mountain. I mean, it well, makes it's a bit sense, like the river. But, the river's the same. Yeah. It'll drown you if you're, for the mm. same reason. It's bad. Yeah, like, it's... it's <laughs> It's really good to be in touch with nature, but man, is it dangerous? <laughs> mm, well, I suppose nature, that, that, that is a good yeah. way to represent yeah. nature. It is very dangerous. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, but of course, if you uh, if you do survive the process, you are given a measure of the mountain's power that you train hard to maximize. Uh, Alarith warriors in combat adopt what's known as a mountain stance, where they become basically immovable. Even a herd of rhinoxen just bounce off of them. Uh, in offense, they become an irresistible force rather than an immovable object. Uh, they wield long-hafted hammers and a true strike from which cracks every bone in the target's body. The hammers contain enchanted rock uh, from the heart of the mountain they're bonded to and hit with incredible force. Uh, some who study the ways of the mountain seek not to emulate the impervious rock, but wish to mimic the veins of incredibly precious and magical minerals within it. Instead of wielding stone long hammers, they use diamond cord pick hammers uh, with vicious spikes protruding from their steel heads. Wielded correctly, these can punch through the plate armor of a demon prince, discharging a blaze of light that can banish the creature within if the strike is true. Regardless of their preferred martial style, Alarus champions may choose to wield paired hammers of sedimentary rock. Some of these weapons are taken from layers of magically potent stone laid down over the course of the formation of the realm itself, others from the fallout of the Spirefall. These contain so much of the peak's slow but potent anger that when twinned with the stolid weight of the granite and diamond that form the rest of the hammer, they strike with bursts of intense magical energy and crushing force. These guys are pretty radical. I think the Alarith are probably my favorite. That we learned about, like, in depth so far at least. Yeah, I'd agree with that. They're, yeah, they're badass, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah. the normal ones are, but these, yeah, different well, level. yeah. Now, if you want to talk badass, though, please tell me about the beefer of secrets. Oh, you beat me cattle. to it, Cameron. I was going to nah. use that reference. <laughs> you beat me. Yeah, let's talk about the avatars of the Haitian peaks. So, uh, as you would imagine, convincing an elemental spirit to leave its peaceful mountain and march into war is a, a big undertaking, uh, which just shows the powerful bond between these spirits and the Alarith stone mages. But getting said spirit ready for war isn't easy or quick. First, you need to start with a physical body made out of rock, mm-hmm. you know, rich in realm stone, uh, shaped by their magic. Uh, on top of this, they put a little mini recreation of the mountain with a real ecosystem of trees carefully made. So, you know, <laughs> you know they, do, they do it properly. They're not mucking around it. And then the spirit of the mountain then, ha- you know, uh, has a huge two-handed hammer crafted for it with you know plenty mm. of love and care as befitting of its wielder. Yeah. Uh, mm. Its mask, in which to see the battlefield, is based on the sacred uh, Metrian Longhorn, a rugged and reputed mm. immortal beast that personifies the mountain, along with the long banners hanging from the spirit of the mountain, covered in runes and glyphs representing its home. Uh, you know, there's definitely this, talking of home, it's, made, it's definitely trying to feel like it's at home and like becomes you know, literally a walking mountain. Uh, then the physical host is encased in mm. sun metal armor, which was cooled in the lakes near the mountain. So again, even there's still a connection there, providing a stylish armor that can resist cannonballs. Lastly, mm. and most importantly, the Lumineth must convince the spirit that the danger is to or danger to reality is so high before it will consider joining the fight. They'll spend weeks pleading their case to the mountain and will not always be guaranteed, despite the articulate ways of the Lumineth. Uh, but, you know, if they do convince it, it's certainly worth it. If the spirit enters the battle, enemies such as more crushers can be shattered with its hammer, you know, energy blasts booming from its crest or flattened underfoot. So I like that. I think that's really cool. I like the fact they've actually got to literally convince it. Like, come on, yeah. need you. No, why should I? <laughs> What's come in on, it for me? <laughs> yeah. I know you want to crush some orcs. 
<laughs> and but it's also the fact that then they've then got to get its body ready i like that as well it's not mm. just like it just turns up it's like they've actually no. got to put a lot of love and care and like i said they've yeah. got to make it feel yeah. like it's its home and then it was like, okay mm. fine you've got my armor ready so uh mm. and obviously that's the sort of traditional version and again uh, like like we see with keeper of secrets and you know the beefer of secrets has its own named character as well <laughs> mm, so <yes>. uh <laughs> the Aval- avalnor the uh the stone heart king is a unique spirit of the mountain of unknown origins they thought they'd chuck that in there uh animating one of the tallest peaks in a uh who appeared fully formed to the alareth after personally being convinced by selenar to join the fight Ooh. so regarding the origin the theory goes that the mountain gives up a naturally occurring form of ether quartz, which in turn was used to craft uh, uh, Avalnor. Uh, but this is unconfirmed. But it's also tra- mm. suggested that it's been soaking up the illumination of the realm, uh, which explains mm. the permanent glow that even pushes away the darkness of Olgu. Uh, the weapons of choice are the twin hammers, known as the fire stealer hammers. Uh, these basically are weapons with untold weights that use the extreme freezing temperatures of the mountain top to turn enemies into lifeless black corpses as they experience the frostbite that one would, you know, Mm. experience at the top of the mountain. Supposedly the hammers contain the heat and life force of the victims. But again, that's a bit unconfirmed Mm -hmm. as well, but Mm. as deadly as these hammers are, the true weapon provided is the knowledge, uh, a being from Mm. a being from the beginning of the realms who saw the gods arrived, obviously would have vast amounts of experience and enlightenment. Uh, well, at least for those who earn the trust, they you know that may get bestowed <laughs> upon them. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's it. That's so all cool. the lore from the battle time. Yeah, it's, um, oh, it's, it's good. good. It's, it's very good. good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like we were saying right at the start before we we got into the the bulk of it. It's it's yeah, it's very surprising how good this is. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because mm. I, I find no. that. I, I must admit, as much as I love what we do in when we cover the 40k stuff, I'm always really intrigued with the AOS stuff because it's brand new. Mm, you know, whereas obviously yeah. we're getting, you know, uh, I suppose with 40k we're getting the old stuff sort of just rehashed a bit. You know, for modern modern current times, mm. 40k whereas AOS, it's like, yeah, you know, it's literally starting from <laughs> scratch with a lot of these races. And you know, I like we saw with yeah. the the Bone Reapers as well. So obviously, I know the Lumineth are based on the old high elves but they're not at the same time you know they've got their yeah. own history mm. they've got their own past they've yeah they 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 got their own experiences and obviously their own hidden agendas and surprises don't you think mm. you know i think it's mm. a lot of little nuggets that are really cool in this i think yeah no absolutely like just like i said it before their overall story arc is super cool and satisfying like this civilization that almost brought itself entirely to extinction sort of reforming itself as a better for the world kind of society like you know getting in connection with nature like reforming themselves they're not just dumping essentially radioactive waste into one city um (laughs) all kinds of (laughs) stuff yeah yeah their their story is super like gripping and interesting it's filled with really interesting details techless isn't real um (laughs) techless doesn't exist hashtag um (laughs) <laughs> and the models are also gorgeous the art in this book is also just incredible there are it some really amazing is, yeah. pieces of art here and mm. like 
God, I wish they were out fully, because at the moment, there's uh, three units that exist in the wild. It's the Light of Eltharion, <laughs> the Venari Dawnriders, and the Venari Sentinels, and mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to their, to their upcoming release, because yeah. I want to see these around. I don't want to collect them, but I kind of really want to play a game against them at some point. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. They, they, uh, it's an odd situation with their models where I, I think they all look fantastic. I'm actually really into their aesthetics because I know that mm. a lot of people are a bit divided on their helmets and you know the the beefer of secrets and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, is, which is fine. I mean, that's obviously what we expect with models. They're always going to divide people, but I actually mm. really like them, but not enough to collect them as an army. And I'll be honest, I'm intimidated by their their long spears and they just look so. Mm. fragile i'm with my fat oh, fingers God, yeah. <laughs> i just don't yeah. want to but i would like i would have them as we all discuss in our next realm episode i'd have them in the smaller mm. games you know yeah uh, oh, spoiler yeah. uh so yeah i'd have it for that but yeah i wouldn't collect an army but i but they're they're fantastic to look at and even with the the small amount of units that are currently released at the moment until they get their full one soon uh, people mm. are doing some amazing jobs, you know, you see out there. So yeah. I'm really impressed. And I, no, I think, I think they have a really good place here in the, in AOS. I like the fact that, mm. like you said, they, they've, they've, you know, buggered up their past, but they've, you know, they've and paid for it, but then they've come mm. around and, and they, yeah. And it's nice to have this type of elf as well. And I, I, yeah. I'm, the, yeah. I think elves have been severely lacking in AOS. Obviously I know we got the deep kin and I, lo- I love the deep kin because again, I love how mm. unique they are, but again, yeah. then they need, there needs to be more. And obviously we just need to complete the set with, you know, with obviously the, the shadow elves or, you know, whatever the dark mm. elf equivalent's going to be. And, you know, we may see it with the wood elves. I know we obviously, we've got the wanderers, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that, th- that still got a place or the mm. Kenothi, you know, we don't know mm. we, that, that could go many directions, which yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about in the future. But um, mm. I hope, you guys listening have really enjoyed this because it's like I said, because it's, I know we have, I think this is one of the, I think of all <laughs> yeah. the things, all the books, you know, battle tomes or codexes we've covered. I think this is one of my favorites. I think this has been one oh, of the most yeah. enjoyable books that we've covered. Um, and you know, and the good, and I suppose the good thing is because obviously the only thing we got at the moment is a battle tome. Obviously we've got a, uh, novel coming out soon called Realm Lord, mm, um, yes. you know, so which will expand on this, which obviously we may cover at some point. But I suppose what's quite nice is we've got a quite a precise amount of law for them that we can go, right, here mm. we go. Here's all of it at the moment. And obviously, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. it will get expanded over over time. So, Oh, yeah. No, They'll add all the other uh, elemental temples. They'll add the Zenith and the air and the river temples yeah. eventually. Oh, but yeah. I really look forward to seeing what those are like because, like, they're like the guys from Zenith can turn into ghosts. I'm like, that yeah. sounds awesome, <laughs> ghost elves. <laughs> and also, to be fair, I know we're obviously talking about the lore rather than the tabletop, but they need more stuff eventually. They've got a very, oh, as yeah. you saw from the units we were talking about, they're very light on units. They've got like eight or nine total units, half of yeah. the characters. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's a bit again, a bit like the Deepkin, same same position mm. where. They're, you know, again, they've got cool units, but there's not that many of them. And so it almost, but again, I suppose this, we're seeing it now eventually with the Daughters of Cain where, you know, things are going to get added and, and, you know, so it's almost Mm. like they're in different waves at the moment. So, you know, it's still early days for the Lumineth. So I think, yeah, yeah, they definitely, definitely have their place here. But, uh, right. Okay. Well, that's been the main law topic. So we'll have a break, a very much needed break (laughs) and uh, have our discussion (laughs) topic. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Chaos Space Marines. Space Marines! Ah. 
and welcome back. It's Chaos Space Marine Wishlist time. Wishlist! 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 Right, so <laughs> this uh, was actually a bit of inspiration I had on Discord recently because we were sort of toying mm. with what uh, discussion topic to cover on this episode. And uh, Alan on our Discord asked or mentioned, well, you know, do you think we're going to see any more Chaos Space Marine units? Because obviously they're loyalist you know, counterparts mm. are getting all the goodness. Mm. And, yeah. you know, my answer was to him personally, I was like, mm, I probably not. You know, I think mm. that, you know, I'm not saying categorically no, but they've, you know, they've been up, they had a good update, you know, about a year or so ago yeah. with, you know, yeah. Abaddon and, and Terminators and new, new scale Marines. So, but you know, let's, let's, let's wishlist it because we don't want to be negative and go, no, they're not going to get any more goodness. So yeah, Cameron and I are going to, mm you know, suggest a few things that we may see. Um, I can tell you from my list, it's a combination of new stuff and a couple of, and a few things of, why don't they bring this back, you know, yeah, into right, 40K? Because right. uh, obviously 30K had some fun stuff as well. Mm, so, uh, yeah. yeah, Cameron, kick us off, mate. What what ideas? All right. Uh, so my first step would be Exalted. Um, mm-hmm. So I know we have, I know we have Chosen. Yeah. I know we have Exalted Champions and Chaos Lords. But where is that step just before you shift from a chosen to a lord or or champion? Hmm. Yeah. I want a small sort of one to three unit with the character keyword. Oh, I want these okay. this to be a unit of characters. Yeah. I want them to be kind of the the um the blade guard veteran kind of unit, but more. Yeah. A little more killy in melee, a little less protecty, and maybe have some <laughs> yeah. like buffing auras going. So instead of like having storm shields for three plus, they're 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 awesome in melee. They buff up units around them a little bit because they're almost like force commanders. They're almost chaos lords or champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I just I like the idea of like a little character squad. It's it's kind of like um Varangard in uh Slaves to Darkness, like Varangard. Yeah. Yeah, like the, these guys who are each like potentially a Chaos Lord in their own right, but for mm. now they're working together under someone else's direction. So instead, they're like this elite, terrifying force. Um, so you know, like four wounds, maybe a five up in Vuln, and then just the full suite of like HQ weapon options. I would love to like be able to like do a little squad where you can kit out they make for a great kit as well for like bits because you mm-hmm. can make a kit with one of every weapon option and yeah. if people are like well where do i get this for my chaos lord you can go buy a box of exalted you'll have yeah. three exalted and all this other stuff that's a good point because we're we're in that again someone as someone myself who's collecting care space means at the moment it, it you you do find that where there's gaps in because we'll see at the moment chosen don't have models technically i mean chosen mm. you can just base on care space marines and just give them because yeah. basically they're like yeah. vanguard vets just give them whatever cool weapons you want to give them but again then you suffer because uh in one sense because obviously part of you can use a lot of loyalist stuff if you choose to which is appropriate in mm. some cases because obviously you know the care space marines especially ones like night lords are not uh, uh you know not against stealing you know from their loyalist counterparts. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time when you try, especially if you're trying to min max some of your units, like you said, if you want like, you know, combi weapons on your 
you know, your Chaos Lord or combi weapons on mm. some other units that you, sh- you struggle because they're not yeah. really around as such. There's not really, re- you know, kits that are obvious choices to, to base them off. So yeah, if you can, again, it's again, I'm making the comparison to the Vanguard Vets kit, which, you know, is if you, if you collect Space Marines, Vanguard Vets kit is a lovely kit for lots of reasons. You're getting, you know, you're getting five jump packs, you're getting mm. loads of, you know, loads of cool weapons, lightning claws, uh, thunder hammers, uh, you know that that's where that's where people make smash captains from a lot of the time. They'll but they'll mm, use the Vanguard yeah. Vet kit to to do that. So yeah, we need a chaos equivalent. I feel. Yeah, yeah. I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Good. You should be. <laughs> um, I'll throw one of mine through now. Um, mm. I would well, not going off the back of that, but I I would like some form of proper terror troop. Obviously. Again, mm. it's because I'm doing Night Lords at the moment, but with, you know, with, um, obviously terror troops existed back in, in the heresy. And I know we've got things like corn berserkers, which could be seen as a more modern day type of terror troop, but I would like them sort of, uh, sort of part stealthy part to, a bit like Reavers, a bit like your, your mm. primaris Reavers yeah. where, you know, they, they, they're not all, about, but not as stealthy, but still have an element of it as well, where mm. their mm. primary objective, a bit like your Reavers, is to get into enemy lines and just absolutely, you know, as the name suggests, absolutely terrorize them, you know, mm. from a morale point of view. And I would like to see them with a new type of weapon, chain claws. I want, Ooh. I want a combination of a chain Ooh. fist and a lightning claw. I want, you know, lightning claws basically where they, they, they're chain claws, <laughs> mm. so to speak. So where, yeah, like, be cool. where yeah. they would literally <laughs> just rip the enemies apart, you know? So, and, and it almost the opposite of, um, what you were saying with your exalted example, where they're very limited with their, yeah. um, with their mm. war gear, you know, purposefully where, the objective is we've got these horrific weapons like like chain claws. Okay, you can mix it up with lightning. Like it's all it's all about melee melee weapons that absolutely rip the enemy apart, and you get bonuses mm. for you know for doing that. And again, it's it, I suppose it's you know you need to have something which would help protect them. Um, you know, yeah. you I wouldn't say you know give them like storm shields or the, but you I you know I could see them having some sort of maybe, you know, some sort of field, you know, of sorts, a bit like the, the iron halos that, you know, but not as good, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, tracking in like a five plus invulnerable, not to make them super overpowered. Uh, but yeah. just so, cause obviously if, you know, they need, they would get taken down really quickly if you're not careful and maybe have uh, terminator versions of them as well, mm-hmm. which would be quite cool. Oh, so yes. yeah, I'll just, yeah, I just feel like it's a gap that, is sort of there because again you've got you know you've got some of these units you've got chaos terminators you've got chosen you which you can fit out with lightning claws and things like that but like an actual mm. purpose made unit to absolutely terrorize the enemy i think would be really cool i think it'd be very yeah. space marine as well yeah absolutely all right uh my second one is a demonic cavalcade okay uh so this is this is continuing on. So I was kind of inspired by Indominus for a couple of these. Uh, mm-hmm. so previously, I want a Blade Guard Veteran Star Squad. Now, I want sort of a heavy bike roll. It's kind of like Outriders, but I want it to be, instead of Chaos Space Marines getting bigger and better bikes, I want to be Chaos Space Marines who have managed to break Chaos Beasts to their will. So, like, 
If the unit's corn marked, maybe they're riding juggernauts or chaos spawn with a mark of corn. If it's slanesh marked, they're riding, you know, the, the fiends of slanesh and stuff like that. Essentially, I want, I want the, uh, the, the quote unquote range threat to be a chaos space marine on the back with like a plasma gun or a bolter and then the melee threat to be two and a half tons of demonic flesh charging <laughs> right at you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they'd be really interesting as a unit. Again, maybe have them, as like a, 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 a neutral chaos mark unit. So like they come mm-hmm. as like, there's a Nurgle steed and a Slash steed and a Zinch steed and a corn steed in the box. Yep. There's like one of each and you, ju- you don't have to give the unit a mark or you can give it the mark of undivided. But if yep. people really want into it to get into it, they can get like the skull crushers from Age of Sigmar and mod chaos space means top of them for corn units and things like that. I think it'd be really fun. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And it's funny you've actually said that as well, because you've sort of combined two of my ideas oh. <laughs> as well, inadvertently, because okay. I put, I would, one of my ideas was basically chaos mechanical beast with riders. So similar to what you're saying, like with mighty skull crushes, like the, you know, a space, space marine version of that, where you've got, yeah. you know, like not mechanical horses, but like I said, a mechanical you know, demon type beast with riders. Mm. So you sort of, co- you know, sort of covering what I say. But I, I was hoping for proper demon dreadnoughts, as in I would Ooh. like dreadnoughts based Ooh. on the, on the four lesser demons. I want a demonette dreadnought. I want a plague bearer oh, dreadnought, a bloodletter yes. one. So you have got demonette dreadnoughts where you know they're they've got their you know claws at the end of the you know the dreadnought mm. arms, you know, and, and things like that. And it, it, I just think it'd be so cool to have. I know you've got hell brutes at the moment, and obviously we've got you, you got your contempt to dreadnoughts, but they're obviously totally different in that sense. But I would now I want a full proper demon dreadnought again. I know yeah. that ha- they have sort of existed because I think there's the the Mara Gal, which I think is the word bearer mm. one back in the day, yeah. which is, is a demon dreadnought. But I meant, but I mean, like an, rather than just being some one for the word bearers, I mean an actual. Ones I said based around the lesser demons. I just think they'd be mm. so thematic mm. and cool with their own different rules, like you have with the lesser demons. Uh, they obviously get the demon keyword as well as Chaos Space Marines. Yeah. Uh, they have obviously the mark of whatever, you know, whatever god, Chaos God that they're aligned to. Obviously, if you're, you know, Zinch and one, or if you're, you know, a mm. uh, horror. Yeah. So, like, a, and again, you could have like a pink and blue horror version of the Dreadnought, oh. you know, where. <laughs> Not necessarily. Split, I mean, you could have it splitting up. Yeah, I, was, uh, that I, was I not, immediately thought of like a dreadnought being cut down the middle and then yeah. popping out like a little demon arm and leg on each side. Yeah. going, now there's two of us. Well, exactly. They'd be like little. They'd be like terminators, wouldn't they? They'd be like basically yeah. terminator sized. Or yeah. Or or I was just thinking you could have not necessarily. Okay, say you didn't have the split just for for ease. You could have mm. a situation where you know the, whichever version you pick has different rules. You know, so yeah, the pink one yeah. has different rules to the blue one, and they have pros and cons depending on which version oh, you want to have. So that'd be such a fun modeling project. Like exactly, even if it's in the unit, <laughs> I want to do something. I want to get the old box dread and cut it into like four bits, so like torso two bits, legs cut in half at the hips, and like get horrors and use them to meld the bits together. Like it's a bunch oh, of horrors holding it together. That would be amazing. That'd be hilarious. Oh, oh man. So, you could have so much fun with that, and mm. it would be th- quite thematic as well. Because yeah. again, I think I, 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 dreadnoughts in general, whether it's loyalist or traitor, I always want them to exist. I love dreadnoughts, I mm. think. and a lot of people oh, yeah. do. I think as well. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but people generally like dreadnoughts because <laughs> you've obviously got a lot mm. of variation uh, with regard, again, regardless of loyalist or traitor. And 
I think that the fact that if you could customize them a bit more, and we've sort of seen it again with the Contemptors over on Forge World, where obviously most of the legions have got a Contemptor mm. body, which is quite thematic, especially like, like like the ones like the Night Lords ones and the Thousand Suns ones, where they're very in keeping with the uh, the look. So I think yeah, Demon mm. ones would be perfect for this. Oh yeah, absolutely. God damn, yeah. that's a good idea. <laughs> all right uh well my my last idea is uh again work in progress name here the tainted okay so uh a big thing that chaos has access to that loyalist marines don't is the warp and what would happen says my my interested little brain if you just kind of strapped a chaos space marine squad to the outside hull of your ship while you went through warp space and then when you arrived at a loyalist planet, you just kind of dropped them, soaked in warp energy, covered in demons, <laughs> right into the battlefield. Uh, so I kind of imagine it's like a, a unit of Chaos Space Marines that has been like, they've committed some crime against their warband or something. Mm-hmm. They've been keel-hauled, effectively, as punishment, but in the warp instead of like tied to the bottom of a seafaring ship, which is what keel-hauling normally is. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they're completely broken but they're soaked in corruptive energy. They're like radiating warp energy in every direction. So my idea, like on the tabletop is this would be a super slow, durable unit that ignores morale because they're all completely crazy. They don't understand what's going on and they just kind of march forward. They sit on an objective. And if things try to get near them, this radiating warp energy, like causes mutations, does model wounds or debuffs their stats. Because again, reality is like, weird around them just because they're infused with this energy mm. i think it'd be super fun and again really emphasize like how brutal chaos space marines can be even with themselves <laughs> yeah. like you yeah. know you guys failed that last mission you get to be tainted now and everyone goes oh no not that anything but that and it's it's nice actually because it it has a few elements of some of stuff that exists like again they're similar to corn berserkers also mm. it has links or similarities to creations of bile as yeah, well you know where they're, yeah. they're evolving and you know their stats change sort of on the fly potentially so mm. yeah i love that oh, idea and again very thematic very chaos space marine mm. way of doing things <laughs> nasty but then using it to their advantage because that's similar to what hell brutes are hell brutes are yeah, basically yeah. you know uh, similar to that so yeah i love it no i'll be down for thank that. you <laughs> <laughs> um i got a few i mean the, the most of the ones i've got yep. are just sort of mentions more than anything oh um, yeah go for it i would i would i would like to see demon jet bikes because i think Ooh, you know yes care space means that they're lacking obviously that type of you know they've got bikes and and a few of the obviously the demon engines but demon jet bikes i think would be quite mm. appropriate as in the the rider is a care space marine but the jet bike itself is de- you know is uh, with demon power and obviously you can use again depending on which god it's aligned to which like what demon you can do different things like say it's a sanesh one you can boost its movement quicker you mm. know to get into battle yeah. um if it's a nurgle one you can boost its toughness you know things like that i think it'd be quite cool so again it's similar yeah. to the my my dreadnought idea where depending on which which uh, sort of demon slash god it's connected to that affects the stats uh, but it would only need to be quite Sim, you know quite small alterations mm-hmm. um i think what else did i put there's a few that i would bring when i say bring back as in in regards to 30k um uh, i think they could do with having their own apothecary i know we've got obviously fabulous bar yeah. but i think that's a thing that's lacking um for mm. i know we're talking about chaos space marines in general but in regards to the thousand suns i think they could do with having their librarian dreadnoughts they because obviously yes. in 30k they got yes. the osiron 
pattern dreadnought was a you know the what you know i was thinking come on 40k they should have psych like blood angels have got mm. psych you know librarian dreadnoughts thousand oh, yeah. <laughs> sons should have them and and such mm. so I, I yeah i think that's a pretty even a bit of a no-brainer uh i'd like to see uh, do you know you know the that really cool blood angels dreadnought the one with the, the claws and the jap the jump pad yeah uh i'd oh, like to see yeah. a night a night lord's version of that i think that would yes. be appropriate again with the claws and jump pack mm. that's you know it just needs uh, a chaos version of that i think uh mm. i was thinking corn terminators like as in like corn yep. berserker yep. terminators yep. You know, that, chain yeah, exactly. I think that's yeah. just, a, again, the, quite an obvious thing, but I think it's the thing that could exist. Uh, I was thinking snipers mm. with warp bullets. So again, similar Ooh. to your Primaris Eliminators, yeah. but uh, obviously Care Space Marine version, but obviously w- w- obviously Eliminators have got different types of ammunition. I think it'd be quite cool if they had like warp, you know, uh, ammunition mm. again, or you could have demon god related ammunition where, you know, depending on which mark you have, dictates your ammunition and that does different things to the enemy either buffs or debuffs and things like that so yeah i had a few ideas and i i I think Mm. i think i would like to see more which is obviously a a theme with what some of my suggestions i would like to see more with the four gods within a normal care space marine i know it obviously Mm. you can give a mark of snash corn etc to a unit but i've and you know that allows you to use certain like stratagems and things like that with it but i i would like to see it have a Mm. bit more of a an impact on the model, a bit more impact on the rules, almost like, like I said, variations of data sheets and such. But uh, yeah, I think if GW, if you're listening, Mm. do it, please do it for for the the love of chaos, (laughs) do it. So yeah. uh, So that's our ideas. Mm. That's the end of our discussion topic. And that's the end of episode 60. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a, a real fun one, this one, I feel. Yeah. And, uh, oh, this has been great. <laughs> and, I, and I think it also has definitely encapsulated our change in the format. And obviously we're mm. what, three or four episodes since we changed this. And I think this is definitely the way, you know, like I said, to play it. I know we sort of mentioned this last episode, but I think, it's again, it's just proving that, you know, by us devoting a whole episode to the law topic and obviously discussion topic, we're not mm. rushing through things, especially when we've got a lot to talk about. It's sort of yeah. you know nicer pace, and we can actually properly you know discuss things rather than sort of just you know go go go, <laughs> so, and then <laughs> yeah, and then come exactly. and then obviously in a couple of weeks when we record our next realm episode again we've got loads to talk about you know uh, mm. covering over the news and hobbies. So again, hope you everyone out there is in, is enjoying the format because I think it's mm. it's definitely working yeah, for us. It's working so. for us for sure. <laughs> definitely cool. Right. Well, saying that, Cameron, where can people mm. find you on that old internet? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, come drop by, say hi. Uh, there's pictures of cute animals and talking crap about Australian politics and talking <laughs> crap about world politics because what else is there at the moment? Um, or, of course, you can hop over to Instagram if you only want to see my hobby stuff because I know that's what people really listen for. <laughs> uh, at realm underscore and underscore ruin. I'm keeping that updated pretty regularly now, which is good because I lapsed on it for a bit. Um, cool. And, like, spoilers for the next episode, I have so much crap to talk about. I've been doing too much hobby. Um, <laughs> so there's lots to look at over there. Um, <laughs> you can also find it on the podcast Twitter, at uh, Realm and Ruin on Twitter, um, where you can also find, of course, what Matt's working on. But, Matt, mm-hmm. if you want to see something from you 
other than screaming about stream reveals and uh, your terrifying <laughs> night lords, where should they find you? Uh, you can also find me on that twitter.com at ninja badger seven, even though admittedly I don't do that much on there. Cause um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I think I, I used to do more, but obviously things are taken over since doing realm and ruin. And I feel sometimes I haven't got anything else to say, which sounds a bit mm. bad, but I think that's just, yeah, <laughs> I think it's I time, you. you know, yeah. it's just time, but you oh, can yeah. follow me on there anyway. Cause I do sometimes bleat about certain things. So yeah, mm. that's where you can find us all. And as I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you want to find other cool, lovely Warhammer type people, you've got our discord that you can join as well. So mm. that's been episode 60. That's been our ruin episode. Look forward to the next episode, our realm episode. And mm-hmm. as always, keep safe out there, be good to each other, and we'll yeah. catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.